This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Connor. We're going to talk about a, uh, I was going to say novel, but it's not a novel. Uh, is it a memoir? Ghostland in Search of a Haunted Country by Edward Parnell. Um, I've never heard of Edward Parnell. It looks like he only wrote one other book. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so I, uh, for a guy who is talking about writing and the writing life and such, I'm like, who is this guy? <laughs> um, had you heard of him before? I had never heard of him before, other than this book, other than Ghostland, which right. I had come across several times. But I hadn't come across, his first book is The Listeners, mm-hmm. and I hadn't come across that before. So, uh, I, he maybe he writes for television or something like that. I, I didn't really look it up. Um, he's got a website, it's edwardparnell.com, and it's mostly Ghostland. Uh, when did this book come out? 2019, is that right? That so, sounds about right. So I can see why you came across it because it talks a lot about folk horror. Is, is, but I also maybe you just mentioned it. I said, yeah, let's book a show on that. Um, because I, I like the idea. Um, how would you describe the book itself as what it is? Okay. Um, well, when I came across it, I was like, this is going to be much like, the like Mark Fisher's The Weird and the Eerie. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be a book that's examining ghost stories. Mm-hmm. Um, it does that, and I assumed you would, yeah. Um, but I did not realize it was going to be such a memoir, mm-hmm. right? I really um, was pretty surprised about that, um, and especially because normally, like when a uh, author does that sort of thing where they're like, we're investigating something, but they're also inserting themselves as a character and mm. their own stories interwoven. Normally I'm not into that style of writing. Yeah. Cause right? it's too much me, 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 me. Right. Yeah. And often I find that I'm interested in like the, um, the investigation into the subject that they're, that they're talking about in this case, ghost stories is what I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. But usually I'm not as much interested in the author's story. Although I would say in this, book it started out feeling that way of like i wasn't that interested Mm -hmm. but by the end i was pretty invested in um (laughs) yeah his story and that was almost the more the main attraction to it or that what kept me reading it it's the Um, emotional hitter for sure yeah it was much more of an emotional story than or emotional book than i had expected i thought it would be more mm, academic it hits investigating it's definitely not academic um, I, it's, mm. I think it, it feels like it's much more commercial with all the television movie references. You know, mostly they're BBC or Channel 4 or whatever television adaptations. Um, it hits like uh, a memoir for sure. Um, yep. But a very specific and narrow memoir, sort of the relationship of a person who read this stuff, who deliberately goes on not voyages rambles rambles to look at the places to. that inspired the 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 writings and the people who lived there and yeah and so there's that but um i think also i'm just looking at the spine uh, we didn't have the uh 
uh, paper. I didn't have the paperback. So, um, I'm just seeing the spine here on the website and there's, uh, says Ghostland Edward Parnell, but in between Ghostland and Edward Parnell on the spine is a, uh, hourglass and a skull. And of course, that is what he's interested in. Um, on the cover, we see. Time and death. Yeah, we see the wicker man and, you know, a raven and, uh, you know, forests and what could be the ghost of, you know, the Grim Reaper and a bunch of other oh, things. And then bird imagery, once, which is, you know, again, like why bird imagery in this book? It's because the guy's actually interested yes. in wa- bird watching, right? And His I was family wondering was. whether, I was wondering whether the book actually contained photos of birds. Oh yeah, I don't know. Um, because we listened to the audiobook mm-hmm. and I was thinking he's so often describing these things and it sounds like in the book he is taking, um, pictures or he says one yeah. once or twice that he has a camera and i just wondered whether that was going to be a part of it because the landscape's an important part of it his mm-hmm. description of the places the birds are also important um and the media like books and mm-hmm. films and tv shows that he's watching are also important so it would i don't know what what the paperback or what the physical book is like but I, it would definitely benefit from I would images. like to see uh, inside of that, so maybe maybe I'll look around online see if or maybe the library has something. But um, it works as an audiobook all, all by itself as well. I found um, I it was one of these problems like with capitalist realism or or any survey work. Uh, you kind of want to make a lot of notes, <laughs> and you can't do that yes. as easily with audiobook. However, on the website, uh, it says key figures under ghost, like there's a tab pull out, and it makes a list of all the people he covers. And I know most of them. I've read something from most of them. Sometimes I've read a lot from them. And then there's other ones he mentions that are, you know, stand tall as well, but he doesn't cover as much. And they tend to be uh, American. So H.P. Lovecraft, Shirley Jackson, W.B. Yeats, John Buchan. He's not American. Stephen King, Ray Bradbury, uh, Kurt Vonnegut, mm. Graham Swift. But it's it's focused on the British landscape for the most part, right? So we get um, some people like I've never heard of. Ethel Qualcohoon. I've never heard of that person. Susan Cooper, he yeah. goes over... Oh, Many times I have a set of Susan Cooper books, um, but I haven't read them. But Walter de la Mer, I read lots of him. And so uh, how did you go through this? You th- were you making notes? These are books I need to read that when I read. I, I kind of felt I like make- I needed to do that. I was making notes. Um, uh, a lot of the main ones I had read, like Algernon Blackwood and yeah. Hope Hodgson um, and uh, and so on. But there were other ones too that I was, um, uh, that I was interested in, particularly some of the poetry that I'd never mm-hmm. heard of before, like, um, Tam O'Shanta, mm-hmm. um, or, um, a few other people and also artists as well. Um, those were the things that I, um, had not heard of that are really the kind of, uh, little bits of, uh, little gems scattered throughout. Um, and because I, I would assume that the main audience for this book is people exactly like me who are yeah. interested. Yeah. Who it's, it's people who have probably already seen and read a lot of these and are interested in learning more. Like I learned a lot about William Hope Hodgson mm. from this book, which I did not know. I didn't. And the same, I knew almost everything yeah. he knew, like the stuff about 
uh, what's his name? Uh, Houdini. I knew that, I, yeah. but I've read a ton of William Hope Hodgson and like, I kind of agree with most of the assessment. It sounds like he has too. Most of the assessments he has of the Nightland and, uh, House on the Borderland and, and, and such. Uh, and you know, the ghost, uh, ghost pirates. We've done shows on those and you know, he's awesome, but, uh, it's also interesting, like, to think about when he encounters them. So a lot, there's a lot of children's authors on here or what we would yeah. think of as children's authors. So Lucy M. Boston, I've read at least one of the Green No books and it has haunted me since a kid. And I feel like I need to read it again. I, I, so I was hoping, I was hoping that'd be one that was interesting to you. That was the Green No series, which he, he talks about a lot. Okay. Yeah. And that one. So there were many books, films, and things in this, in this, um, in this memoir book, uh, that were mentioned that I am aware of because I've been told multiple times mm-hmm. about them. One of those is Green No. Mm-hmm. And like, that was in The Weird and the Eerie. So Mark yeah, Fisher liked yeah. it. Edward Parnell. But also, um, and Jesse. Don't Jim forget Moon. Jesse likes it. Oh, and Jim yes, Moon. Oh, Jesse cool. has also, I believe, made a podcast about this, right? Um, he, he, and, and so, I, he, he actually is kind of this guy. Uh, Edward yeah, Parnell. Was, when I was, when I was reading this, I was like, Edward Parnell is like a guy who grew up in England in a certain time and all of these media influenced mm-hmm. him. And when I listened to Jim Moon, Moon's podcast, he always talks about the things that he likes or that he liked as a kid. Mm-hmm. And these are, and the many of them are the same. I learned so and, much from Mr. Jim Moon's Hypnagoria podcast. Like he talked about children of the stones and I'm like, what's that? Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. To get into it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Right. It's just something they would have got that we didn't get because we're not there, but we get yeah. the Doctor Who's or we get, you know, or yeah, in fact, um, it, near the end of this, we get, um, uh, what's the TV, TV, uh, movie guy? <laughs> I know. Um, uh, uh Dr. Professor Quatermass. We got a quater oh, mass yes. at the end. Quatermass. Was that in was yeah. that in the weird in the eerie as well? Yes, I think it, was. it was. Yeah, quater mass in the pit was yeah. mentioned quite a bit. And then this one we got um, the the 1979 quater mass with the planet people. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he ties it really in, in very interestingly with his own life, so that it is it is like here I have these memories of this thing, and then I go go there, and then. Oh, my brother's dying. My mom's got this disease. It's, uh, it's very, it's, it's really, it's weird because I'm looking at the website and it, it seems to be getting like mainstream or got mainstream reviews, you know, and maybe there's mm. more literary in the UK. <laughs> what do you think? Cause they, they, you know, oh. all the major newspapers are reviewing it and they like it. Uh, so it, it, maybe it, he's got a really good publicist. I don't know. Um, um, it's like re- I, we get Ready Player One, you know, yeah, and they get yeah. Ghostland, and I'm like, Ghostland's preferable to Ready Player One. The nostalgia yeah. here is is tied to something real and isn't just about more nostalgia. Well, I think the nostalgia here is also about it's about like he is attracted to these works, mm-hmm. right? And he has had a lot of dealing in his life with loss, um, and, and death and, uh, these inexorable forces 
right? Mm-hmm. And those are and and reading ghost stories, horror stories is is uh, therapeutic because right, they do be. confront mm-hmm. those topics often. I, I, why right. are you interested? Do you have trauma? Because uh, one of the things I did right before we started, I I was I I, I just so happened my mom. You know, she's moving house and she said, uh, have a look at this. And it's, uh, I sent you the screenshot. Um, it says to the reader, this book is the record of conversations between Ted Willis and himself and is therefore private and not to be read by anyone with three underlines without his express permission. Thank you. And then it goes on to be, uh, basically, a very brief diary. Uh, over a couple of months of my father's suffering of cancer, like the treatments mm. and the things that happened to his mom, they happened to my dad, right? Mm. Uh, she, she goes blind. That happens to him, mm. right? And it's, you know, he's worried about this and like, it's very much, um, about the period of time in his life when these things are happening and also like, he seems to be interested before it. He seems to be interested in after it. And then, of course, he, he comes right up to whatever the present day for this book's publication was, is I'm writing a book about this journey I'm taking mm. through time, through place, um, exploring my own history. It makes it sound much more like a, you know, me, me, me book, but it's not really. I think it's just he's making why he's, not even justifying, he's just saying, I have these memories of this. And then describing in the way that, you know, a book reviewer who's enthusiastic about books that they read and haven't, are doing it professionally are review, like his stuff about school scary, the elder, uh, that's, uh, the John Buchan. That's one yeah. of his I haven't read, but I know about it. And I was like, Oh yeah, I have. What excuses do I have not to read it? Oh, maybe there's no audiobook. Maybe that's my excuse, right? Yeah. Um, but that's one that, uh, like, I wanted to read it after hearing him describe it because it's one it's, of the. It's a good one. Oh, you've read it? Oh, cool. Yeah, I have. I think it's actually probably Buckin's best wow. story. That is a bold claim. I'd like that to be true because I'd like to read it yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. This book is like, um, Edward Parnell's just brain on paper. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, it's his memories. It's his, um, uh, and things he likes, right. Mm-hmm. He just, he wants to talk about birds cause he likes birds. He wants to talk about ghost stories cause he likes ghost stories. And he also has these memories. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, well, I, um, uh, well, uh, hmm. So, like, part of the reason this is a bit of an emotional book for me mm-hmm. was because I also had very similar experiences. Like, uh, I grew up, my dad had leukemia when I was growing up and eventually passed away from it. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of his, when he was talking about being in high school and his own experiences there, they were very, very similar to, mm-hmm. um, my own experiences. And, I also like many of the same things um, that now, Edward. Now, now I know why we're friends because we're broken in the same way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, I had the same experiences. Yeah, um, and the opiate we're addicted to is weird, weird fiction that talks about death a lot and horror. Yeah, and ghosts. Yeah, <laughs> well, it's odd that um, 
some people are attracted to horror, mm-hmm. right? And some people are not. Because I know other people who have had, um, yeah, like tra- those traumatic experiences and they don't like horror mm-hmm. and they, because it reminds them of that and mm. they just don't want to have anything. They're, they're to- not facing it again and again, right? Yeah, they, although... Hiding from it. I, I heard a really, was maybe it was in that other book we did. Um, I don't remember where I, I got it, but, um, it was about the ideology of romance, uh, rom-coms. And then, yeah. um, I remember like I, I had an extensive movie collection because I, instead of renting movies, I would, I would buy them. I would wait six months and then they'd go on sale at the video store and I'd buy them and then I'd watch them. Um, and then I'd have them and my sister would come by and, you know, get a bin full of movies to watch. And she, mm. she would reject movies that were not happy movies. And I'm like, mm. I like all of these movies. I like this prison movie. I like, I like this uh, science fiction movie. I like this drama. I like this horror movie. I like this ro- romantic comedy. I like this historical drama. And she'd be going through them and says, but is it a happy movie? <laughs> mm. Um, and the, there's like this, and I was like, oh yeah, oh I, I think it was on the Lack podcast, which is a terrific podcast talking about movies, um, and what what the lack in them makes. Uh, what are we to make of it? Which is a really weird. It's like eerie, in fact, right? Is the absence. Mm. Um, in any case, they were talking about how romantic comedies are like uh, ideological. They are telling you yes. how to live. And I didn't think about that when I, uh, when I enjoy a romantic comedy. I'm like, oh, this is fun, right? But I don't like uh, – and I feel like they have the uh, emotional effect on you that is for that reason. But I'm not addicted to only that. And my sister was like, no, I, I, I can't have a good crime action movie or you know, uh, a thriller drama or whatever it is. It has to be a very narrow – pablum or not pablum that's that's not that's for babies it's like a it's an opiate right mm. as the opposite of like facing the scary thing uh it's it's, it's escapism it is esca- um, escape from the the horror as opposed well, to the yeah maybe it's, it's the it's black pill and white pill or whatever from the matrix you know yeah yeah <laughs> um it's interesting this, that you say that because um, they definitely are. But I also feel like in some sense, horror is also escapism. I see I, it. Yeah. Even, yeah, I wouldn't even be able to um, even be able to put into words exactly what I mean by that. But um, it's like because I find horror quite easy to deal with. I really enjoy it. Like I watch a good horror movie mm-hmm. that is like – scary and i feel like emotional catharsis yeah yeah um I f- and like and uh s- satisfied or like that was a good experience yeah. <laughs> and i feel but do you, do you only do horror movies like the their cocaine uh, bumps in the bathroom of a you know no. gas station and, and i'm not like um i'm not really into being scared in as it like jump scares mm, or like yeah, I hate jump scares. my yeah my heart race but like, for instance, I watched last night. I watched um, two adaptions of "Whistle" and "I'll Come to You." Mm-hmm. Um, the one from '68 mm-hmm. and the one from 2010 with John Hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And both of those were exactly the kind of thing that I like. I liked the 1968 version better, I think. That's the um, Michael Horton one? Is that right? Yeah, I believe. And yeah. he, he was really good in it. Like, mm-hmm. I really liked his performance. He's just sort of like, it's a really sparse. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I guess it's more like, it's like only 40 minutes. Not quite a movie, but... um, uh, A Christmas show. special, yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, nothing happens. Like, it's just him... He goes to the hotel and he constantly mumbles to himself Mm -hmm. and just kind of potters about doing stuff until he finds the whistle. Um, and, uh, but the atmosphere was, was fantastic. Right. Mm -hmm. And there was never, it wasn't particularly, there was no legitimate point when I was like afraid, but it was eerie and creepy and Mm -hmm. that felt cathartic. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, um, but so in some sense, um, okay, but I will say, right, if we're talking about like what is escapism or not escapism mm-hmm. or like your, your sister saying, I just want a happy movie, mm-hmm. right? Um, I cannot watch, uh, any films about cancer or anything to do mm. with them. Like, um, and well, it's not Caterpillars, so much. did you read that one by E.F. Benson? Yes, yeah. I have read that one and I like it. Yeah, right. it was it was scary, and I like um, when he was talking about when Parnell um, was talking about William Hope Hodgson mm-hmm. and the house on the borderland, and at mm-hmm. the end when the main character has that kind of phantasmagorical light in mm-hmm. his hand mm-hmm. that consumes him like a cancer, mm-hmm. um, it's like that. That I really like. I like that idea. It's a metaphor, but maybe. what I <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, um, yeah. And he he pointed out some other stuff that in Hope Hodgson's work, like, uh, the voice in the night. Oh yeah. Right? That, that is how- one of the most horrible stories ever because it is body horror, but yeah. we're so distanced from it that we, we, all we have is pathos for these people who did nothing wrong. And yeah. now are there basically they're lepers, right? But yeah. it's worse. It's worse. Yes. And you can see how, Parnell was talking about Hodgson's own experience with his father having cancer in his mm-hmm. throat um, and how that might have influenced it. I don't, you know, who can say whether it did, but I can see how it might have. Um, it, it has to, because why, why, why does this stuff exist? Uh, it's the same. Uh, it's the same when I first saw the wicker man. That's the only time I've seen it. I remember it yeah. very distinctly, right? When you, when you find out, why all this stuff has been happening and you say it's not fair (laughs) Mm, yeah mm. he's a bit of a jerk a bit of a prude but it's not fair no and and then they're dancing happily around because their fertilization ceremonies are working right and it's like oh well that's terrible and and that's the point right it's like all of these, uh, the, one of the stories he didn't mention that is by an author on this list, um, it's by Arthur Mackin. Uh, he, that's mm-hmm. how the narrator was saying, Machen, maybe it is, um, called The Cozy Room. It's a very, very short story. And it's about a guy who, you know, he's looking around his room and he looks at the picture on the wall and he looks out the window and the window has bars on it. And he said, everything is fine. Everything is good. Everything is fine. Everything is good. Everything is fine. Everything is good. And then you're realizing, oh, this is not just his room. 
it's like the room they put you in before they hang you, right? So uh-huh. he's calling yeah. it the cozy room because he wants that to be true. He wants to not mm. think about the horror, right? But yeah. it he can't help but think of it. And so it is. it has to be some sort of a reaction. So, like, I think weird fiction, as opposed to horror... Weird fiction is is more about, like, the unknown. So if we talked about... He didn't talk that much about the Willows. I guess he did. He talked quite a bit about the Willows. The Willows is mm. ab- about what we know about reality, I think. And sure, there's some little, you know, scary things that happen in it. But it's more like the horror of the unknown. Whereas uh, the horror of the known that we don't want to know about, right? Death. Yeah, is uh, much more present in a, a lot of the other authors. Um, w- w- one of the ones you sent me, and I I was behind you in the book, so I didn't know why you had sent it to me at the time, was the poem uh, set at the lighthouse. What was that one called? Um, oh, hang on. I think it's just called Flannan Flan- Isle Lighthouse. Flannan Isle? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, well, the lighthouse was called um, Flannan Isle lighthouse and it was the mystery where several lighthouse keepers just went missing mm-hmm. um uh which and i knew absolutely... that i knew that story and i may have read that poem before and it may have been mr jim moon who turned me on to it but it's also it's it's in a lot of stuff so the very first thing i thought of in that case and it made me i'm working on a, a, a very slowly i'm working on a dungeons and dragon module based on uh uh Edgar Allan Poe's um, The Sleeper, which is a poem. <laughs> Ooh, cool. <laughs> it's, it's just fun. It's funny and fun. Um, I've been playtesting it with students and adding things to it. And so one of the things I'd like to do is add in this, the scene where you open the house, just as in the Oval Portrait. You open the house, you break into the house, and there is all the food set on the table, just cooling. And you see the candles were lit a minute ago, and but there's wisps of smoke going up. So where are the residents? And the answer is mm. we never see it, right? So that actually is a true short story that's not based on reality. That is before the actual incident that where we get the idea that these men disappeared. Um, and actually, I don't know if you know this. There's a Poe short story called The Lighthouse. Do you know about this one? Yeah, it was unfinished. Right. Um, Robert Block finished it, but I didn't like his ending. So, And also that part and was not public domain, so I didn't put that part up. But I did film, put it up. Yeah, and the film... With the Lighthouse the, is an attempt to finish it as well. Right. Um, I, I think I did my attempt as well somewhere on Twitter. Um, basically, I just looked at what's in the story and didn't add anything and then tried to reconcile it. Um, yeah, I think there's a dog in there, and and uh, two lighthouse keepers, right? And that's basically mm. that's uh, obviously somebody's insane. Um, so something bad's gonna happen. But it's funny because we think of that uh, incident in that uh, lighthouse as being, you know, a true event. But how much is embellished? You know, the the disappearance not embellished, right? But the uh, the food still on the table. Yeah, was it really warm though? <laughs> right? mm. Was the candle like still smoking? No, probably not. And there's that Doctor Who episode, the horror of Fang Rock, right? That I sent you 
uh, picture still from, which is that story, except, you know, with Doctor Who showing up and it's whatever. Um, create, yeah. Yeah. So there's like a, um, uh, a truth hidden in stories that allows us to experience things that we don't really want to experience firsthand. Yeah. In, um, in some sort of a way that we can sort of process it. Yeah, um, beginning, middle, yeah, end. If being we read it better, we can understand it, but there's no physical trauma that comes from <laughs> the page itself. No, no, exactly. Um, and I think, um, yeah, uh, or just having it, having the themes and experiences just one step away from reality, you know, like, mm-hmm. like the reason I can't watch films about anything to do with, uh, cancer and stuff, especially if they're like really over dramatic, like mm-hmm. many are, mm-hmm. is just that, um, uh, I just get mad at the film. <laughs> I get it. Yeah. Um, yeah, um but I can, watch something like say the wicker man where um there's this uh banal evil well i don't even know whether it's evil whether the villages are evil right but like he i think parnell really summed up a good scene from the wicker man that i'd never quite understood Mm -hmm. and i think i do now after reading this book which is when how he goes to the school and in the girl Robin's, I think her name's Robin's, um, Rowan mm-hmm. in the girl Rowan's desk. There's a, a beetle nailed or it's, it's, um, tied, mm-hmm. tethered, it, uh, tied with a thread to a nail that and it's right. circling around it until eventually it will get stuck and that's hang him. itself. <laughs> um, that's him. Yeah. And it's also Parnell explained it as sort of like, how he just couldn't understand why are you doing this poor thing? Why would you do this to it? And the little girl is just completely, um, doesn't either doesn't care or just accepts it as what they're doing or is completely desensitized to just the brutality and, um, banal cruelty of that act. As are many of the villages. Dude, if you grow up on a farm, right? This whole Island is a farm. Yeah, yeah, and killing. And, and it's a sacrifice. And the, and notice in that Wicker Man, it wasn't just a man in there burning. There was animals in there, too. Yep. Yeah, there are. Um, Pigs and chickens uh, and whatever. Yeah, but it, it's that they have to, like these villagers, accept that sacrifice as a requirement. Yeah. Whereas, you know, like we, we killed stuff on the farm as kids. Like you kill chickens mm-hmm. and stuff because you're going to uh, eat That's them. That's dinner, yeah. Um, Exactly. But there's a purpose to that. Whereas obviously there is a purpose to the sacrifice in the wicker man, but from the modern standpoint, like I look at that and go, this does not actually accomplish it's anything. Not, yeah. Right. It's, it's just torture. It's, yeah. The, the crops are, lit- are not literally becoming more fertile from my logical. Do you really know that? <laughs> I don't, I don't really know that. But, um, the, maybe, but maybe there's a, a nice, uh, a mechanism, uh, you know, there's no school shootings on this island. Maybe that's the, no, <laughs> you know, the, the community is united, right? Uh, it, it's, it's interesting because I don't think he talks about Charlie Jackson's The Lottery in here, does he? Maybe he mm. mentions it. He talks no, about Shirley Jackson. He, he talks about, bit. he talks about Hill House. Yeah. So, uh, uh, why do the things in the lottery happen? 
the answer is not in the story, right? It's not there. You can look and look and look. It's just, well, I mean, I guess the answer is there. It's, it's tradition. It's what we do, right? Mm. Um, and when you're a little kid, um, you know, and your parent gives you food to eat and it's meat, you don't say, why am I eating this meat? You just eat it, right? Um, Mm. it's only when you get older, you say, I'm a vegan now. And I choose yeah. what goes into my body, right? Uh, yes. And then you can make your kids be vegans, right? Um, or whatever. And or your cat or dog. Uh, I believe some people have done that. <laughs> yes. To great success, no doubt. Um, mm. <laughs> but the point, the point is, is like, um, it, it, you grow up in this tradition, you know, watching ghost stories on television. Um, and you don't know, like, that they are adaptations. You just know that that was a good ghost story. And then there's this revelation that almost everything that he talks about as a media thing, right? Except for Quater Mass and maybe a couple others is first a work of writing, which is not mm. done by committee. And even, even the Nigel Neal stuff, it's not done by committee, right? He has a vision. It isn't like, like there's a lot, like there's a new Star Trek out, right? Um, mm. and, uh, people are saying, hey, <laughs> the compliments is, it's not really terrible. <laughs> That's, they're saying, yeah. Yeah, I- I'm still watching it. I'm not super disappointed because they've had so much terribleness for so long that, that, you know, these are great strides, they think. Um, but it's only in comparison, you know, the pain relief is so much greater. The pain is so much less, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> what have you. But um, the, the, those are written not by individuals anymore, right? Where one guy mm. would write the whole series or the whole movie or whatever. It's written by a committee. And they have a bunch of people in the room and they go around. They say, what about this? What about that? We've got these characters. We need to service them this way. We need to put that person on screen. And we need to hit these beats. And right? it becomes a, a whole thing. But those it becomes too contrived to really yes, emotionally and, connect and with anyone. dishonest, right? So like, yes, yeah. uh, like one of one of the things I really like about the internet is memes, and I I yeah. used to not fully grok them, <laughs> but um, what I like about memes is they're honest in a way. Often, even even if they're dishonest, they're honest in a way that um, regular media can't be. Because some guy says, I saw that, I'm going to use this for that. And they, they're trying to make a point. And it's a very small thing usually, right? And mm. if it takes off, it's because, it's not because, um, uh, some marketing company is doing it. I mean, they try and do that, of course. But if, if something takes off, it's because it's, it's really resonating with somebody about something. And so when you extract those from, like, you know, there's a scene in one of the Avengers movies where Iron Man's, you know, looking defeated and, oh, he's not going to be able to fight this giant horde of whatever aliens it is. And then out come all the the heroes from the previous movies or whatever, right, out of wormholes. And what people do with that is they, they... transplant somebody else's face onto Iron Man and then they show all these other people. And sometimes these are stupid. Most of the time they're stupid. But that feeling that is generated in that movie, in that scene is the point of that 
that meme's uh, stickiness. But mm-hmm. but a story written by Algernon Blackwood a hundred years ago being adapted to a television, they're trying to they're trying to take that vision and adapt it. And sometimes they mm. get it right. Sometimes they get it wrong. I saw the Tractic Mid-Oath, which I don't know if is mentioned in here, but that's a modern uh, M.R. James thing. I'm not a big M.R. James guy. I'm not a big ghost guy, right? And he's that's what he's best known for. So M.R. James doesn't resonate with me the way it does with a lot of people. But I saw that as very stylish and very good at what's doing, but it didn't do anything for me, right? So I, I could see that it was a faithful and interesting adaptation um, but it didn't resonate with me. And yet that's not the majority of things we get. Mo- majority of things we get are not single vision or adapted from a single vision. It's much more, um, it's much more committed and commercial it in a kind of a weird way. It, well, I, I agree with you. Um, and like, you know, it, it's, it's sometimes, um, grasp uh what is it the grasp exceeds it's no reach. the reach exceeds its grasp yeah um right like they're just trying to take on too many things when and things function better when somebody has a certain point they're trying to make mm-hmm. and and they just go for that and they don't try and hit every single demographic or right, right, every right. topic that exists in the world right now um so hey i was thinking when you're saying that you know why this book probably was in all the newspapers and got Ooh, reviewed why is that Cause it's, um, cause I would recommend it. Cause I read this book mm-hmm. and I wasn't thinking that it was going to be as emotionally impactful as it was, mm-hmm. but it turned out to be. And that was a really nice surprise. And mm-hmm. I would recommend it to other people, but it's because Edward Parnell is talking about really it's only one sort of subject, right? There are different facets mm-hmm. or different aspects to the story, but really it's about his loss. Um, and he's just talking about this one thing and trying to describe, uh, you know, you could, if you wanted to use flowery language, you could say it's like his own personal truth yeah. or something like that. And now you're making um, me not like. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We'll forget that. We'll, we'll erase. I, I was thinking, um, I was thinking about how, how like it could be seen as like uh, self exploitative. Um, but I don't feel like there's any falsity. To it, I feel like no. it's all genuine. So I and I don't I do think well. I don't think like he spent a lot of time like um, I need to just reveal enough of the emotional. Like I don't think an editor said to him, you know, you need to punch this up by giving making it more emotional. Or if he did, or whoever did say that, uh, he really took it to heart because um, it hurts, right? Yeah, yeah, it hurts in a way that is genuine. Exactly. Um, and in a, in a way that you can only, you know, I don't think a committee could ever write no. anything like that. It, because it comes some from people will have vision. had the experience and some people will not. And the people and who people haven't who won't cannot get it. fucking do it. Yeah. No, they, people who haven't had it will never be able to write that in a way that is at all convincing. Because, like, as much as I, dislike a lot of media that deals with cancer and so on and people's experiences. I didn't dislike this story because like his experiences are not my exact experiences. No. Um, but it is genuine and most, and a lot of 
books or films are just simply not genuine that deal mm-hmm. with that subject. I, it's just funny. I, I didn't realize that it. there was that that big an industry, the cancer film industry. <laughs> like, I, I know no. that there are movies where, you know, some somebody has, uh, you know, they battle through cancer and then they die anyways or whatever. Um, or I see a lot it's more a- of those with dementia. You know, like there was a whole, especially with the aging population. But it is an experience a lot of people have had, but I, I just... I guess I haven't encountered that many that stuck with me in any sense. I think um, I don't think there are that many either. But the ones that st- that I've seen stick with me because I, they make me angry. <laughs> and, <laughs> All right. Um, uh, but um, but I just think more so it is sometimes used as a cheap um, emotional uh, device. Oh sure. And story. Oh yeah. And that. And that's what I dislike. Although, of course, and it was not in this book, no, of course. No. Um, uh, so, um, yeah, that's what I mean when I say like there's genuine and in and ungenuine. And you, and I couldn't even put my finger on exactly what makes something genuine or ungenuine, but you just know it when you see it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I mean, but, I, I think there's a lot of writers who are willing to just say, I, I don't need to know that. Um, I can fake it. Mm. And, um, I did one, <laughs> I did one, um, about, uh, you know, uh, it was, I think, I think somebody, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, um, the Our Opinions Are Correct People podcast. I can't mm-hmm. remember that. One of them or two of them, oh, one of them retweeted or, tweeted about something Cory Doctorow said about how to make gun nuts not crazy about when they get guns wrong when you have a gun in a scene. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this is a thing that I get upset about in movies. Um, is like Incorrect details. Incorrect details because it, it yeah. shows you don't know what the fuck you're doing and why should I care about something I'm trying to get genuineness and not fakeness, right? Um, and so they, uh, the Cory Doctorow line was um to avoid the people getting upset with you about gun details being wrong just just instead of saying it's a sig sour you say it's a modified sig sour <laughs> sig sour is a particular yeah, brand yeah. right <laughs> a modified a little escape clause that's right and i was thinking like that style of writing is a mistake because um what i like about cory doctorow's books are not uh the plots it's actually he's really good at ideas he comes up with a really interesting idea and when he describes his story i'm like i don't need to read that story thank you very much you just described what the plot of the story is you know um unauthorized bread i said oh that's an interesting title and it's about a refugee family that moves into an apartment and they try to load the dishwasher but it will only take authorized plates and forks and knives, right? And then they try to load the toaster with bread, but they bought the cheap bread, not the company bread, and so it doesn't work, right? There's the story. Mm-hmm. I don't need any more. Yeah. I got the idea. I got the idea emotionally delivered to my brain through the idea of the words given me. Yes, I could get another experience by reading the story, but um, essentially the details about any particular thing are there to get you to the ideas. So if he says, I need to have a gun in a scene and he doesn't know anything about guns, he just picks a gun at random, uh, like a Walther PPK or whatever. <laughs> he just says modified, 
right? Well, then what I'm saying is maybe I didn't need to read this whole thing. That's it's like a sign, right? Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, anytime, anytime you fake it, I'm like, I much, I much prefer that you have gone to the place. And so when he goes to the places where these stories are set, generally he mm. goes to them. Uh, you know, he doesn't go to Ireland for the house on the borderlands, but he, d- he goes to where the guy wrote the house on the borderlands, right? And so I, I guess he confined himself to Britain proper, right? Not Great Britain. Mm. Um, there's, there's a sense that the reason these stories are working generally is because they are based on the experiences. And he, he brings that to the story re- reviews. So he talks about how the willows works and, you know, what, you know, what trips that Algernon Blackwood made and why. I was, I was, yeah, go for it. I was shocked to, um, how close the Willows was to Blackwood's actual experience. Yes. Like, I did not know he found a dead body at that river. Oh, wow. Like, yeah. holy shit. No wonder the Willows is so fucking horrifying. Because it's, um, it, it's based on truth. That experience. I can't imagine how, how disconcerting or, and, um, and upsetting or just like, you know, maybe even traumatic that experience is to be on a river in the wilderness and there's a dead body. Um, you know, like, yeah, no wonder the willows is like it is. <laughs> I, I, I think, you know, like I, I start to wonder about Stephen King because he's so good at remembering his childhood. And I was thinking a little bit about that during this book, um, about that story, the body, you know, where, mm. which got turned into stand by me, which, uh, it's a good movie, but I think it's, it's a little over sentimentalized as well, but he has a lot of that. Um, the, uh, King does. Um, mm. but the, like, that must be based on reality too, even if it's, they go to see the body of a dead bird, right? Um, and mm-hmm. because it, it, the, the truth is that's how kids are. They are interested in horror. Um, especially boys. Oh yeah, you know. And they said, "Hey, man, you want to see a dead body? A dead body? Now y- your currency in in the kid community has just gone through the roof, right?" Oh yeah, <laughs> you're the king for a day yep. in that kid community. Oh my god! Um, and, and for years, years later, they'll say, "Remember that time we saw the dead body? Yeah, the one I found." <laughs> yep. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and it's 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 perverse. Um, and the perversity comes from a truth that that is within us, right? We're scared, but we're also trying to be brave. So, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I think that always making that connect. Like we talked a lot about William Hope Hodgson um, and how, like, he was a short guy and he was bullied, so he got into bodybuilding, and then he uh, he starts the. He's uh, him and a bunch of other people were largely responsible for the gyms that we see all around us today. Like it's mm-hmm. so weird because like he tried to basically have a gym, right? But not enough yeah, well, people he... were into it. And now you know you go to the cities where people live, and gyms are everywhere. Well, um, it was successful. Sammy right? successful. Like, I... Sammy successful. Yeah. It but didn't. He did it close didn't... it down. Yeah. 
And it wasn't like he, yeah. he got a big change. It just was too early, right? The physical yeah, yeah. culture movement. Ahead of his time. It, he way ahead of his time. That physical culture magazine, which was a, you know, also a, a, Mc, a McFadden publication in the U- United States. Um, he had Liberty magazine that was, you know, semi six. It was successful. Uh, he lied about the numbers, but he also had ghost stories magazine and physical culture magazine and, and, you know, the eugenics movement, it hadn't taken off when, when uh, William Hopodgen was alive, right? He didn't survive World War One, but mm. you wait until the thirties, it's going, right? Mm. He was just way too early. He was a, uh, he was, you know, market leader in a certain sense, but and I think he was probably in the wrong location. Yeah, but yeah. But anyway, it doesn't. Yeah, matter. we can. Yeah, I mean, you go. Um, you definitely like if if you want to be successful, you need to go where the success happens, right? Yeah. Uh, if you want to be a, like, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger wanted to be a a Hollywood movie star. You can't do that in Austria. <laughs> no. Hence no. his moving, right? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, hence him moving to California and, you know, auditioning for roles in films where the films are being made. Uh, and that's true of pretty much every industry. You can't be, uh, uh, atomic physicist, um, you know, in a backwoods community with no cyclotron. <laughs> just, no, no. you're not going to get much work done. Um, but it's a lot easier when, you know, you attend a university with a cyclotron to get into the program. Mm. So, um, What's what's interesting about this book is is incredibly personal, but it also feels like kind of like uh, I, have you read Joel Walton's Among Others that book? No, it's uh, it won some Hugo or Nebula or something a few, probably ten years ago, and it's a weird book because it's a novel um, about a girl growing up to sort of being a Susan Cooper style witch or something. Um, okay. But, uh, it's basically just an excuse to read a whole bunch of, have her, the character read a whole bunch of books and then sort of okay. very lightly comment on them. And it was a weird book because it, it has a plot, but mostly what you're doing is you're just reading. And I, I read this book and I read that and that one was good. And I read this, this and this. <laughs> so it was basically, uh, Joe Walton's life. Which is she reads a mm. lot of old fiction and she writes columns for Tor.com or whatever, right? And so the depth of the book is not there in the same way that it is for this book because he goes to the places, he asks, you know, around and says, is this the house where or, um, were you alive? Do you know anyone who was alive when? And, and then he has a lunch and then he looks at some birds and then that reminds him of, the time he and his dad saw birds and he didn't get to see a snake. Right. Yeah. And then, so it's, I guess the interleaving in that would be the construction of this book, but it is not constructed in a way that is at all false. It seems to be constructed around basically the journey itself, which is, you know, going day trips to places and then, you know, a little longer than day trips to places and communicating those experiences. It sounds like he was taking pictures. You, you were saying, I thought I got the sense that he was getting them on his phone. Um, there was, a, I think he even referred to it like, uh, he sourced the text message to get the date of something that happened. Yeah. And, uh, like this book, uh, I was telling you about earlier. Um, 
It just has the days. It does not say what year it is. My mom says it's 1982. And I'm like, mm, is that right? Is it 81? 80? And then I'm looking at February. He didn't date most of them. But, you know, he's got Wednesday, January 19th, February 15th, Tuesday. So there's a couple of, you know, days. And you can figure it out mm. based on that. But um, I'm just, I'll read the last entry that I sent before I texted it to you. February 15th, Tuesday. In Fort St. James, my leg and back are still sore from the sciatica. My back perhaps a little less so, uh, though I believe to a certain extent I'm just getting used to the pain. Perhaps I overstrain myself today walking, though I, I get restless just sitting around. I'm trying not to take too many 292s finding them to be leaving me scattered. Took four yesterday, two about 9.30 a.m. today, two about 7.30 p.m., one about 7.30 p.m. Uh, I'll see, oh, 7.30 p.m. Today I had two about 9.30 a.m. and one about 7.30 p.m. I'll see if I can get along just with those, but I'm not going to suffer unduly. I'm reading The Hobbit to the kids. I'm like, I remember him reading The Hobbit to me. I, I have no idea that, he, you know, he's, what drugs he's taking, uh, you know, and like, you can like, uh, the fact that, you know, he's having trouble getting an appetite. Well, when you're mm. on chemo, that's what the problem is, right? And yeah. you can sort of see the thing that he's not addressing is he's dying here. And that was the horror for me is like, I think I knew there was something wrong. Like, this is not just like, you know, he's got the sniffles. There's something wrong. And he's, he's not saying I'm, uh, I'm dying. He's saying like, I need to make a long-term list of goals. I need to, and he's, he's, he's dancing around it, but he's not like I'm on a death path here. And yeah, that's horror, right? It's something you, you don't want it to be true. You can't, it can't be true. You got to avoid thinking about that. And yet what, what, what's in this book is says, don't look it up. <laughs> yeah <laughs> wow yeah um the one of the more impactful part of the parts of the book um was it seems like whistle and i'll come to you mm-hmm. was really at the core and particularly mm-hmm. he repeats again and again that phrase who is this who is coming mm-hmm. which i never was quite impacted as much when i right. read the story but right now after reading this book i'm like <laughs> yeah you know the it. answer <laughs> It's a hell of a phrase, right? <laughs> yeah. And and just some of the imagery in that story, like for instance, when the character's on the beach and the figure's coming towards him across the sand, mm-hmm. right? But it's indistinct and he can't see who exactly it is. And is this inevitable force, right, that is incomprehensible, but it's coming for you. Mm-hmm. Um and that's um it, and that speaks to, I think, like certain things in life. Uh, you could say cancer. Mm-hmm. It, um, it, it's just like I, as a child, I did not really understand. I still don't really understand um, what exactly. It's I understand. It's dice being rolled, it, and you're not involved yeah. in the dice rolls. Yes, you can influence no. some of the dice rolls. They're happening constantly, at all times within yes. your body. And if it gets the wrong number. Once too often, in the wrong way, in the wrong section, then that can mean death. Yeah. I'd, and it's you is nothing to do 
You have no control over it. Nothing to do with. It does have to a degree if you make bad decisions. Yeah, you can you can influence you can influence it. But one of the things he says in this journal, my dad, is uh, I almost started smoking again. I can't let that happen. (laughs) Yeah, I uh, when he got cancer, when I found out he got cancer, I said, Dad, you have to stop smoking. Right? He didn't have lung cancer. It was skin cancer. Yeah. So it wasn't caused by it. But does smoking help you? Probably not. Probably doesn't. But the things that he's, you know, he's like Korean ginseng. Like he's making lists of things that are going to, you know, power, help Maybe him to help. get healthy, right? And he needs selenium or whatever it is. Um, that is all, that's the, that's the route that, um, uh, I want to say Tim Apple, whoever guys founded Apple. What was his name? Jobs. Oh. Steve Jobs, uh, right? Yeah. Steve Jobs, there you go. Yep. He, he followed the same recipe as there's hope. There's hope. And the thing is, yeah. you don't want there to be no hope, right? You don't want to say to them, there's no hope, bud. Give it up. Why don't you go have some fun? But he's doing that as well, right? His brothers take him to a hockey game. And we had fun, he says, right? We talked mm. about the old days. We joked about my hat or whatever, right? Because he's lost his hair. It's like, yeah, <laughs> the, these are, these are, and you can see like, gotta, gotta spend more time with the kids. Gotta say hello to mom and thank her for all that's right. And then there's like one of these entries is, and I had a good cry. She's the only person I can talk to. It's like, these are, this is horrible, horrible trauma, right? Horrible trauma. Mm. And it's not horrible trauma only for the person. It's for the whole family around them because they want to help. And he says that right in here. He says basically, um, I felt terrible about not wanting to be there, but also I couldn't be there. And then yes. when yeah. he, he's there, you know, he's giving his brother books to read. Like this one was good. This one not so good. And I'm like, did that, was it, did it cut too close to the bone? Is that too, too close to what we're seeing? And it's, it's not something we usually have lots of experiences with. Right? Maybe, maybe no. we do, and then it just makes it worse. You're completely helpless yeah. in the situation. Like, there's no way to make the situation better. No. And even just trying to take people's mind off it is sometimes making it worse <laughs> because it draws attention to the fact that you're trying to take their <laughs> mind right. off something. That's right. Um, yeah. Um, but they, they, they can't. The other thing is like, um, when his mom is going, right? She's taking, she's doing as best she can. It seems like she's, she's joking around as best she can. I'm a pirate <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> or whatever. Um, but the thing is, is from the outside, um, it's not something you can talk to, you know, kids at school about. It's just, they, they have no experience. They have no idea. And no, and I really related to when he said he didn't want to be uh, pitied by anybody. Yeah. He didn't want to be treated differently. And that was the same with me. I hit that from, uh, yeah, pretty much everybody. And, um, and one of the teachers takes the notice, right? They sort of like are in on it and the kids aren't. And it's like, they're adults. They've had a little more experience. They know a little bit more yeah. about it. And, you know. Yet they're still flawed themselves. So it's a, it, it's interesting. The characters who come away as sort of, 
Um, the heroes, if there are any, and they're, uh, they're fairly unsung in this, it's just like the medical professionals, right? Like, th- yeah, you fucked up. Uh, it's okay. Mm. We'll, we can fix, we can do this. But like, you know, people helping people out of wheelchairs as their job, and they deal with these people all day long in a way that we don't, right? So yeah. I, I thought that he mentions them as sort of, you know, just a kindly word here or there. Of course, he doesn't remember their names or anything like that. It's just that uh, service is there. And, yeah, you know, yeah. and then not generally, um, screw, like, nobody did anything wrong. It's almost worse, right? Nobody th- did anything wrong in the healthcare is built in 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 the UK and in Canada and for you, right? So it's not mm-hmm. like if we could just get like if we could just get some more money, right? We could get some better treatment, a better doctor. And there is a little bit of that in every case, right? You think, "Oh, well, we got to get a appointment with this person because they're I hear they're better, but a lot of it is just like rumors and hopes yeah yeah and um yeah uh it's it's funny you said your dad uh was like you gotta stop smoking um <laughs> yeah where the, the opposite was true of my dad who never smoked and then after the last couple of years when he had cancer mm-hmm. uh he started smoking because uh-huh. i think his attitude was like What's it going to kill me? Uh, yeah, it's like it's not going to – like at that point, he was um, pretty much beyond like any form of treatment, right? Yep. Um, and his attitude was like, fuck it. I'm going to enjoy myself and yep. do the things I like to do, which That's is right. uh, eat food, eat delicious food, <laughs> and smoke cigarettes. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, so um, – well, How did you feel about it? Because I thought that that was a horror, all right? Like you're going to kill your – you're going to make it – you're going to make it happen, Plus. right? But I was very young. I was like 11, right? So I, or 10 or whatever. So I don't really know. Uh, make what happen? Smoking. Make the, make, make the kill, make the death, make you die. Because, you know, at that How time, you- at that time, there was, it, it was the big push against cigarettes, right? Yeah. And so there was like this cancer. <laughs> Cigarettes equals mm. cancer. So, like, I'm like, I'm traumatized in a way by uh, yeah, you know, yeah. the propaganda. And the thing is, is like, there are medical, not medical reasons. There are reasons that people smoke that are based on their their condition, right? If you people are stressed out, it's a way for them to regulate their brain in a way that doesn't yep. require, uh, you know, heroin. <laughs> um, you know. Yeah, and certain people are a bit more like susceptible to that. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I didn't. I didn't have an issue with my dad smoking. Um, How old I were you? Didn't, you were you older who, than I was. At that point, I was probably about eighteen. Oh yeah, um, You're wiser. So um, yeah, but I sort of, uh, <laughs> I kind of got him into it. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> um, not not intentionally, but um, we took a trip together to Vietnam, right? Oh. Nice. And um, uh, this was like. Uh, I, I was probably 18 at this point anyway, but, um, uh, and so we, we were just going around and like drinking a lot of beer mm-hmm. and stuff. And I had never really, cigarettes are very, very expensive in Australia, but like they're so expensive. I would have never even considered buying a packet as an 18 year old. Cause it's like, I don't have that kind of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. That's like half, that's like half my rent. <laughs> right. Um, 
for this week. I'm not going to spend it on a pack of cigarettes. Wow. Uh, um, and, but in Vietnam, it's like nothing. It's like 50 yeah, right. cents a packet. Right. Um, it's, it's literally dirt cheap. So, um, so I was like, oh, well, I'm here. Maybe I'll try smoking. Um, and I'm, I'm not a smoker. I don't really like it. Um, but my dad also tried it and he had smoked when he was younger, but mm-hmm. then, and then just stopped. I don't know why he did, but he was not a smoker for at all, mm-hmm. um, for the vast majority of his life. But, um, I think after then, after he came back from Australia or he came back to Australia, um, he was like, oh, I just enjoy smoking. I forgot that I, enjoyed it as much mm. um but there's a you know like smoking is kind of like there are benefits to it so, well <laughs> i i won't say that um there are things that are not related to the actual consumption of tobacco mm. but are re- are related to the act of smoking oh man, right? many social things like that are socially yes huge mm. right i mean i think that the majority of the reason that people s- start smoking is to avoid social awkwardness. Yeah, it's, it's something to, to do with your hands. It's something to do with your hands, but it also allows you to cozy up to people you want to cozy up to, but uh, don't yeah. feel able to without, you know, the got a light. So maybe, maybe, uh, got a vape doesn't, you know, maybe this vaping, I don't know, uh, you know, what the rates are or anything, but maybe vaping is not actively as social. But maybe I'm, mm. I, I, I really, I know that it's a much reduced smoking. But uh, when I went on a trip to the UK, I was astonished by the amount of smoking going on. It was, it was, and, you know, advertising for it. It was astounding to me. Yeah. It, it, it really depends. Yeah. Cause in Australia, there is no advertising yeah. for smoking. Every cigarette pat, pack is, covered in, in cancer symbols images yeah. <laughs> well, no like really yeah they, uh, we have them here too the australian government does um has had a sort of policy for many years of shock mm-hmm. uh advertisement of shocking people away from from driving dangerously or mm-hmm. um uh or smoking mm-hmm. or drinking um and i used to i used to work in a store where i would sell cigarettes it was the only one of the only stores in the town that sold cigarettes mm-hmm. and cause it was kind of like a lower socioeconomic area, pretty mm-hmm. working class. A lot of people smoked. Um, and so I was just selling cigarettes to people all day and, and it was constant. People would be like, I just hate these images on the packet, <laughs> right? I yeah. can't believe, why do they have to, why do they have to do this? Um, cause I don't want to have to see this. That's why they um, do it. So you don't want to look at it. You don't want to think about it. Yeah, and um, my dad smoked a player's lights, right, which has a sailor yeah. on it. He, he thought of himself as a sailor. He had a boat, right? So yeah. I looked at the symbol before, and I thought, oh, that's a cool drawing of a sailor. I didn't think about smoking, I don't think. Oh, maybe I did. I don't know. But now, like, yeah, it's half the package is, a, you know, a cancerous tumor. Right? Mm. <laughs> and the bottom yeah. half is, like, uh, the name of the particular brand or whatever and it does cost you know twelve dollars or whatever it is a a pack which is yeah it's not nothing and so yeah you were a drug dealer uh for essentially yeah um well i and i really wasn't well in that job because at the time uh i don't know whether you guys had this in america but there were um synthetic uh hallucinogens right like they they were marketed as like a synthetic cannabis but that's not really what it is hmm. but it was um 
there were hallucinogens and you could buy them over the counter. Yeah, I think in many stores. I think those are like herbal stuff that was unregulated because the government was slow. Is that what it was? Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, I don't know whether you can buy them anymore, but at the time they were on the edge, mm-hmm. and the government took a long time to catch up and say, yeah. actually, this is this is. Uh, they're pretty. There was don't fairly, hallucinate at I the think, gas station. <laughs> no, they were dangerous. I, I don't know how dangerous they were, but. Um, uh, but they were they were off the radar in terms of the right. government Regulation. being able to regulate them. Um, and I we used to sell those as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, but they, so they weren't as addictive, were they? They they were just more like I don't know kids enjoying uh, magic mushrooms sort of thing. Um, I don't think I don't think they were addictive. Although there were definitely people who would come in consistently and buy them mm. and buy it. Maybe they um, were. Yeah. So, but I think you know, like, um, but I don't think they're addictive in the way cigarettes are, where your brain craves more of it. I think people yeah. just wanted more of the experience. Yeah. Um. Well, alcohol uh, is the same way. It's a, it's a way of getting out of your head, and I I don't know if you can use fiction that way. <laughs> Like I yes. kind of, I kind of want it to. I I know I want a good story, but I don't want it to be more of the same. You know, I want it to be yeah. s- some uh, some new thing every time. Um, exactly, and it's it's sort of rare that you do get that. You know. Yeah, and you know now that now that the genre is so established, right? I am writing this particular genre, this little tiny niche. Um. And we have labels for all of these genres. Uh, you can, you could fulfill any particular niche by only buying, you know, that stuff now. But, mm-hmm. uh, what I, I like about the, this, uh, process of going back and looking at what people say was a good book and what was anthologized a lot. And it, this is largely short stories. There's a few novels. Oh, maybe there's more than a few novels in here. He goes to Susan Cooper a lot, and I, I did not read The Dark is Rising. So um, mm. it sounds like he's, he doesn't recommend anyone pass that. Did you read that series? Because that's like pre-Harry no, Potter sort of hit with the cult. Not yeah. in the same way, but. Um, I've never read it, but I, I, but I believe I did actually look it up and consider it. Mm-hmm. And then, because it is a kid's book, I just wondered whether it would be easy for me to actually enjoy it because you know as a kid there's some things you just really enjoy mm-hmm. but as an adult you don't quite have doesn't quite have the magic yeah uh, the alan gardner uh, i got into late too late probably mm-hmm. um because i started reading and i said this is kind of kitty um on the other hand i see why it's interesting and it had an interesting you know um uh mythology around it but i i didn't get into it and it makes me wonder like will when i go back and read that lucy m boston series or first book in it right am i gonna Mm -hmm. get that hit that i got as a kid the wonder the amazement that's raining outside in this english town with with canals and it's raining Mm. outside right now as i read this book we're connected Mm. like that you know so yeah, part of part of what I do on this podcast is I read old books and I I've read before and I read new books, but I I I, I always worried about running out. So I was kind of I was worried I was worried about running out of good books to read, right? Because there, there's there is a limited list 
you know, he goes through this, this key figures list, right? And so Robert Aikman, I think I've read some Robert Aikman. A.L. Barker, never heard of this person. E.F. Benson, I read a lot of E.F. Benson. Algernon Blackwood, he wrote a ton, but I read all the ones that are famous, right? <laughs> Lucy Boston, she wrote five books in that series, uh, but I haven't touched them since a kid. John Buchan, oh my, he's got a lot, right? And then we, as we go through, like, I see the connections. Um, Arthur Conan Doyle, he was kind of deluding himself in saying, he didn't hit on it in the way that he could have, I guess, with the cancer stuff. Right. Mm. We were talking about the delu- self delusion sort of thing, but it is there in the book with his spiritualism and talking to his dead kid from World War One. And, you know, one of the things that I think is so interesting about Arthur Conan Doyle's, his sir doesn't come from creating Sherlock Holmes. It's for the propaganda he did during World War One. Right. Right. I did not know that. It's in service of, of government stuff not in service of people and yet maybe wow, they, okay. maybe they've corrected it now and we get some fine actor like sir anthony hopkins or whatever who didn't do it for propaganda purposes maybe that's true uh but yeah he was the one convincing everybody to go and fight the hun and that belgium was being raped and right and grinding and those kids I'm, up but ironically his own son died indeed um, I think, I in think the this, war, so. didn't the same thing happen to, um, uh, Teddy Roosevelt, one of his kids, I think died in World War One as well. Kermit. May. Yeah. May have. And, and he was a big war booster too. Yeah. A lot of, that's uh, a rough one. Yeah. A lot of cognitive dissonance must have been there. Um, there was one guy on here who I only discovered very recently. I, I don't see him on the list, but, um, uh, he was the poet, and he's described as sort of a peripheral figure in here. Uh, R- Rupert Brooke? Do you know about this oh, guy? No, no, but I listened to one of his poems. Yes. I think that was Thomas Shanter. Oh, is that his? Oh. Hang on, hang on. I would have to check that out. Um, so he died in World War I, as usual, right? <laughs> um, he got dis, uh, it wasn't dysentery. I think he got an infection from a mosquito, he- in fact. Yeah, sorry, I'm thinking of Robert Burns. Oh, Robert Burns, yeah. That he wrote Tom O'Shanter, not the same one, I don't believe. So Rupert Brooke, um, one of the things that's interesting about him, uh, it's saying he's bisexual or something on the Wikipedia entry. Uh, probably, who knows? Well, that's not the important part. Um, the important part is uh, uh, last year I did, uh, I, I rewatched Star Trek, and I'm like, why is this series so good? Why is Star Trek so good? And I was like breaking down the episodes like by what I know now compared to what I knew when I first watched it. And he, uh, the people who, a lot of people don't understand. They think what, what he said, uh, that is Roddenberry said about Star Trek being, um, wagon train in space, right? Wagon train mm-hmm. was a television show. It was a, it was a, it was a uh, Western. So Wagon yep. Train in Space is a space Western. But that's not what the show is. Wagon Train was like a, a show about people who travel through space and then they encounter somebody uh, in that week. Like, not through space. As they're going on the Oregon Trail, basically, right? They're crossing mm. the country and then something would happen. It's much more like Kung Fu, right? Which is uh, another TV show. 
uh, where somebody crosses the country and then encounters. Or in Canada, we had a show called The Littlest Hobo, which was had only one main star, and that was a, a German Shepherd. <laughs> it's like Lassie, except with no owners, and just crosses the country and gets into adventures. That's not what Star Trek is. What Star Trek is, they're island hopping. They go from one island to another. And in each island is a particular idea that they're going to explore. And almost every episode is like this. And one of them, one of the things I noted about Star Trek is like, they have a, like a lot of illusions in the titles. Um, and so I'd like, I dig into these things and like, what, why is, why, is, where'd that come from? So Rupert Brooke, he actually has a line uh, of, the, of one of his poems is the uh, title of this, of a Star Trek episode. And it's based on his own life experience, of course. Um, so the one I'm thinking of, uh, there's actually a couple of them. Um, but they, they shout it out in this particular Star Trek episode. They go to some planet and they're saying, this is a wonderful place. And, uh, McCoy says, typical human reaction to an idyllic natural setting. Back in the 20th century, you referred to it as the Tahiti syndrome. <laughs> it's particularly common to overpressured leader types like starship captains. And Kirk says, ah, the Tahiti syndrome, like he's enjoying it, right? So, mm. uh, the poem, uh, that is called out from is actually an amazingly hard to understand poem that he wrote about his relationship with a woman from Tahiti, um, who he probably gave a baby to, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> as in one of his own. Um, <laughs> and, um, it's, uh, this side of paradise is the line. What, wait, hang on. So he, he didn't get her pregnant. He gave her. No, no, he got her pregnant. Uh, one of, oh, and, he got her pregnant. Okay. And this poem is, is, is a, is a, um, it's really, it's really deep and it's hard to understand, but basically it's about death and, uh, how death is terrible because we won't be together bodied like we were when we were together. And she mm. wrote, you know, in her pidgin English, uh, to him. And they were in love and all that stuff. It's, there was something real there, right? And it was the horror of, of not being together forever perfectly in, in paradise. And, Mm. and that idea of like, uh, this is really about something. This is, this is, it's the being disembodied in heaven together is not what he wants. He wants the sensuality. Right. He wants the mm. closeness that you can only have bodied. And that's actually kind of the opposite. Um, and, and, you know, the wise, the older people, they say, you know, you need to get with the real world. And he's like, I don't want the real world. I want what we have now to go on forever. And, you know, she's going to get old. <laughs> and they're going to have crying baby <laughs> and all that stuff. Mm. But no, he's alive forever because we have his poem and he died young. Right. Mm. And so there's a kind of uh, truth you can get in in some things. When somebody reads a poem and says, my God, this is amazing. And then they say, I'm going to write a Star Trek episode about this tiny little idea. Right. And that could be just like, what What if you found a whistle on the seashore and you're an old man, mm. <laughs> an old M.R. Yeah. James style man walking, you know, on a walking tour doing some research and taking a nice relax. 
Um, what would that mean? And it would mean death is coming, bud. That's what it would mean. There is no relaxing. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So this is a, this is a, um, it feels like it's an insubstantial book because of it, of it just being one guy's memoir of reading some books and, you know, but I think it had some resonance. Had you read it before you, you recommended or mentioned it to me? Is this your second read? No. This is first, first read. Oh, okay. Well, we lucked um, out then, huh? Yeah. I think, um, we really did. And cause I was expecting it to be more just like the weird and the eerie. Mm-hmm. I was expecting it to be educational. Yeah. Um, and, uh, definitional. and about literature and, and the history. Yeah. And definitional. Um, uh, but it turned out to be a lot more. It Although, did. um, I mean, there's educational value in that I learned a lot of things about authors mm. who, whose books I've read that I didn't know about their biography and mm-hmm. their life. Um, but I, the reason I came across this was with researching folk horror and wanting to find people talking about where did this genre come from. And this book seemed like it was a promising It actually source, has those just, words in this book, right? He talks about folk horror. Yeah, he does, yeah. Um, and how, and how it's I, like 1993. It's very new, right? As the, this is oh, a yeah. retrospective and a realization that this is there. And yeah, I could, you know, we could see it in lots of old works, but, uh, especially like, you know, it's exemplified by The Wicker Man, but The Wicker Man is one of three movies from that period, right? That he talks about mm. being, uh, folk horror. Kicking it off, yeah. Um, although I didn't think that's, I have my own interpretation yep. of that. I think people get that. That's repeated a lot. Yeah. That there are like these three movies. Yeah, I think one that, of them uh, is not very folk horror, actually. Uh, what's the, the devil right Which find a general? Uh, oh, okay. Devil rides well, out think, in the list? I can't remember. It, um, it is, but it's not considered one of the ones that started it off. And it's sort of considered folk horror, but it's not It's a good movie. Really. And it's a good book. It is a good movie. I hear. Actually, I I don't think it's folk horror, but it is about a secret cult, right? Yes. Um, but, um, he's, it would be, um, Witchfinder General with Vincent Price, Mm -hmm. uh, The Blood on Satan's Claw. That's the one I was thinking of. Yeah. Yeah. And then The Wicker Man. But, um, but yeah, Blood on Satan's Claw, I think is not really folk horror. I, I remember seeing Uh, it. Uh, I don't remember. I think it, it, you could, think of it at that as that but it i maybe maybe i'm maybe i'm i guess i i think folk horror is about real horror (laughs) like reality and you know wicker man is based on reality but it's it's uh also a confection for the film right yeah well um okay yeah that's that's a that's a very good point because i would mostly agree with you but um Okay, I would say actually, I'd say The Witchfinder General is one of those films. I would just say that it is not folk horror, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I think it's pretty, I don't know why it's included. I just don't see it there. Mm-hmm. Blood on Satan's Claw, it has these fantastic elements. I think it's, it's more folk horror. It's got one foot in that world, but to a degree. And, um, I think it, it doesn't quite have the feeling. Is it a so hammer movie? Of, I seem to remember it's a hammer film. Maybe it I'm could wrong. be. It's very, it is very hammer-ish. Yeah. Um, and, and pulpy. Uh, what's that style of movie called? Um, 
It's, yeah. it's like pulp, but film. Mr. Jim um, Moon movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it's a bit like that. Um, uh, but, it, um, but it has like these, yeah, fantastic, um, elements. Like there is a monster, mm-hmm. but that, that in itself is actually a sort of subgenre of folk horror is like mm-hmm. folk horror with a monster, mm-hmm. um, or some sort of a, uh, an evil, uh, being, right? It's not like, yeah, maybe where, there's where just a literary thing. And uh, like, I think you're focused on the literary. Maybe, maybe you're not. You do a lot of film reviews too, but I, I always think of it as a literary thing. And so I'm, I'm thinking of Nathaniel Hawthorne, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but I think it's, it spans uh, both of those. Yeah. But, um, uh, and the, but recently there's been a lot, the ritual, um, that was based yes. on a novel and uh, movie. I haven't read the book, but the movie was pretty damn good. Yeah. Um, very folk horror-y. I didn't watch Midsummer. Is that uh, good? Yeah, that's excellent. I would is it? Okay. go as far as to say I think that's probably almost like the definitive folk horror film. Wow. Um, there's a you know a lot of people would say differently, but I like I mean I just uh, I'm working on a new folk horror essay. Yeah. Um, and I'm talking a lot about Midsummer in it just because, um, yeah, it's so damn good. Mm. You know, there's so many aspects. Um, like everyone's got their favorites. I think that's one of my favorites mm. in terms of folk horror. It's I nice think it's that a there's really a relatively recent movie that's good. It's quite a few recent. There was a big, re- there's a sort of resurgence. Um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, um, but this book did not turn out to be too much about folk horror. I th- sort of thought it would be. Um, not much. Well, that's what well, I was. Yeah. That's what I was, um, hoping. Well, when I was looking for sources. Maybe you right, just, you're to, misunderstanding all those bird sequences in the book. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> there is something weirdly. I, um, you know, I got a sense of the diversity of bird wildlife. Um, because I'm somebody who just sees birds and goes, that's a red that's bird. A bird. That's a bird. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. I think um, you have to remember they don't have big animals in the UK, right? Everything is like hedgehogs and birds. Yeah. Right? Yeah. They yeah. just, they, they decimated their, you know, megafauna. No lions anymore. Yeah. Nothing, almost nothing. You know, bears, no wolves, you know, foxes mm. and hedgehogs. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, the, yeah. Uh, uh, seeing a snake would be uh, a rare thing whereas um yeah like i was like okay uh i'm telling my mom's worker um just so you know there was a black bear crossing he was crossing the other way and he's like freaked out because <laughs> he's from the yeah, Philippines, yeah. right um and i'm totally. saying he'd probably be fine just you know uh if you're walking around uh, keep your <laughs> head on a pivot just just so you don't bumble into something but you'll be fine um, <laughs> because they, you know, the train spotting and, and, uh, bird watching, it's a thing in the UK, but it, it's, and there, you know, there's bird watchers here too, but there's so much more going on as well. And I'm sure that's true for you as well, just because these places haven't been decimated by humans for as long. Hmm. Um, I but mean, there's definitely a huge diversity of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You got, you, got, um, you got snakes and it, marsupials. <laughs> yeah, and there's about a million different times. Right. Like, there's about a million different marsupials. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, yeah. Um, but the, the, like, the, I actually thought the inclusion of all the bird stuff was actually a really good aspect. It was a really interesting aspect of the novel. It's, it's, it's their very genuine, genuine interest. 
And, it's part of his brain yeah. that's just being downloaded and he didn't, into the book. And he didn't go on and on about it either. He's just saying how how they they met, how that experience allowed him to, in a way that smoking would, you know, talk to somebody yeah. with a common interest. Um, yes, it's yes, a family exactly. of bird watchers, right? Um, yeah. Well, you wanna you wanna talk about that other book? Oh, um, like a thief in broad daylight. That's the one yeah. by. Slavoj Žižek, I think yes. that is his name okay, cool. approximately, right? Um, yep. So, uh, it's been a while um, since I read it. It has been. It was a couple weeks, I don't, or maybe a week, I don't know. Um, and it was dis- scattered, is the way I would put it uh, when I was reading it. It was like, what's his overall theme? <laughs> and it's kind of yep. like... Um, like uh, the other Mark Fisher book, right? So I guess these are two follow-ups in a certain sense, right? Um, like capitalist realism. But I found that one a lot more focused, and it's shorter, too. I, I, it's almost mm. like these are Zizek blog posts all sort of brought together. It's, it's like a, um, what would you call it? Tweets? A compilation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. a compilation just... of uh, bigger than tweets, but... yeah. And, and, um, go for it. very, and like, you know, I, I found a lot of them was sort of like talking and discussing these issues mm-hmm. and he's excellent at breaking them down, but very rarely does he propose any sort of a solution or a way forward. I, I think he may have one and it's one that is okay. not popular. Um, but it's his main mode. Um, and it's interesting because it's not the way most people want to deal with things. And that is jokes, right? The whole thing that connects the book together is jokes. Um, so the main one that I remember just now is, uh, the, they go to, was this, it wasn't Serbia. It was some Yugoslav country. And, uh, the girlfriend asks, is it permitted that we smoke in the room? And the clerk says, of course not. However, you will find (laughs) ashtrays in the room for, Dealing with this problem that it's illegal, right? Yes, yeah. And <laughs> yeah. that contradiction is his solution to his life, it seems. He he loves jokes. I've never seen a guy mm. who thinks about jokes, you know, in the non-professional comedian way, the way that this guy does. And that's actually sort of how I, I don't know how I first heard of it, probably YouTube something, right? Um, and first of all, it's a, it's a weird show because of his, uh, mannerisms and stuff. But once you get past the weird mm-hmm. show and the thick accent, right? And, you know, he's, he's, you know, not conventionally handsome and all that stuff. He, you notice, oh, he actually has a lot of ideas and he has a lot of experiences and he, he relates those experiences and those ideas through the almost obsessive collection and interest in jokes and, and so, um, when even he's relating his own personal experiences and you know, how he navigates the world, it's always like, uh, I heard this joke and, and these are actually like jokes are, it's hard to explain, but, um, a lot of the people who are not insanely bad at what they're doing intellectually today are making jokes. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like the, the officials in charge have no senses of humor, right? 
And no. what, 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 what we kind of like about, uh, George W. Bush, even though, you know, he's a horrible monster, is that he, the joke is him, right? He, this incident just happened where he was condemning, uh, Putin for the invasion of Ukraine. He's giving a speech and yeah. he accidentally says invasion of Iraq. And then he says, Ooh. I mean, Ukraine. <laughs> and then he says, and Iraq too. Because <laughs> he's realizing, Shit. of course, that he is exactly what Kirby. he's condemning, right? Yeah. So that yes. folksiness, the fact that he is kind of a dim bulb in a, a high position because, you know, of his his father being the president. <laughs> um, yeah. And had this folksy charm that his, you know, younger brother Jeb or older brother Jeb or whatever didn't have. Um and yet, you know, he's a monster based on his, his actions. That's the problem, mm. right? So his, his, his solution is not, um, you know, we need to march in there and kill everybody. His solution is, oh, let me tell you a joke. I heard this joke. It's very funny, right? And then mm. he tells the joke. And I mean, this is, this is how I deal with problems. <laughs> I see somebody in distress and I say, well, you know what gets me by? I'll make a little joke. And it's mm. sometimes they're self deprecating. Sometimes they're you deprecating, <laughs> right? Mm. <laughs> but it, it's a way to not feel so terrible about the horror of, of what's going on. And yet, um, we, can also talk seriously about how how to fix problems or modes of thought that will help us to fix problems. So I think that 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 seems to be his consistent theme. It's very uh, with the the subtitles power in the era of post human capitalism. And yep. um, one of the things you'll find uh, I, if you look around on YouTube and stuff is people are getting banned from YouTube, not because uh, the things that they're saying are lies they're getting banned because they are hitting truths and the disinformation that governments are putting out cause governments to be upset because they don't have a solo echo chamber that they can repeat their lies to over and over and over again so that the fact that you know that bush gives speeches all the time why did this one have any attention because he said something true Right. Mm. The joke's on him and the joke's on everyone because they all bought it. And, and yet, you know, it, it doesn't resonate with some people, perhaps because they don't have a sense of humor. I think that, that this, this is maybe the diff main difference. Like people talk about right wing a lot. I noticed. Let me see. Right wing. Well, right wing, left wing thing is, you know, it's from a long time ago. Right. But there's definitely people who have no sense of humor for some things. Some people have slight senses of humor for the right things. And then people who have, who deal with most of their problems through having a sense of humor. And it says, mm. we'll just do our best. Right. So well, I think that like, might be his, his overall thesis. Sorry. Go for it. It may be. And I think part of his, um, his ability to deal with these things is like humor is crucial to that. I really value humor just in terms of, um, if, of, um, being able to s discuss a subject that you have no power over. Yes. Right. But by changing the way you think about it, humor is a way to do that where you mm -hmm. just don't, where you don't feel bad 
about it. Um, or you can laugh about it. It gives you some power over it, even if you can't change it. Um, you have pain. This is something you get with cancer. You have pain. What can you do yeah. about it? You can treat it. Okay. And mm-hmm. that has all these side effects. But one of the things that is the relief against this kind of, you know, physical pain and, you know, trauma is having a good laugh with your brothers when they take you to a hockey game. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And even though Absolutely. you're not a big hockey guy. The point is, yeah. you know, spending some time with people who know you and won't be, uh, you know, offended by the fact that, yeah, you're sick. Mm. Right. And exactly. so there's something there. You, you wanted to connect this to Australian politics, and I'm interested in doing that. Obviously, we have some fucked up Canadian politics in the horrible country that I live in. Uh, mm. <laughs> I don't know anything about well, Canadian politics. I, you, I probably yeah. know as much about that as you know about Australian politics. I, well, we'll, we'll have a, uh, ignorance off here. Uh, yeah, sure. So <laughs> I heard that, uh, they, they got a new uh, party in power. Was it a labor related party? Is that right? It's a la- it's the labor party. Okay. Um, and what does it, what uh, does was, it mean? And what, why, how is it connected to this book? Okay. So, um, the labor party in Australia is sort of, centrist right now right um on some matters and not on others though what was reminding me so much of australian politics um in this book was when he was talking about macron and he was mm-hmm. talking about there was that is it le pen yeah was the really Marie le pen, far yep. right yep yeah it was the far well, see, right that's French the, candidate. that's what they're saying the far right is is the threat that they it's the whip that they use to hit the 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 voters so they have a choice between nazis and, and, and but uh, and a and, bad choice <laughs> and and a middle that is you know capitalist realizing us to death right yes oh yeah yeah exactly um and that that's not quite I don't think that's quite the case in Australia although before the election I would have said that was true hmm. um because like one of the things he's putting forward is that um is that uh. Zizek is sort of saying it has to get pretty bad before before any kind of real um, progressive movement will happen, and mm-hmm. that the the progressives like Macron, I don't know whether he's really a progressive, but who are there? Are sort no, of he's just a like neoliberal. Pretty, yeah, yeah, he, he's pretty. Um, yeah, not particularly progressive. Um, and I would have said that that's true in this election, though. In Australia, we had some pretty interesting things happen. Mm-hmm. The first one was the emergence of lots of independent candidates who are not tied to any party. That's and good. this was more than I've ever seen. It was really surprising. And many of them were elected. Oh, good. Um, uh, more so than ever. And the, they're sort of referred to in the media as teal candidates, um, like the color teal. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason is... The Liberal Party in Australia, which is sort of the more conservative party that we would say is on the right, mm-hmm. they've been in power for like eight years now. Um, and uh, they their color is blue, mm-hmm. right? That's what represents them. The Labor Party is red. Um, the Greens are obviously green. Mm-hmm. And Teal is a mixture of, of green conservative and... Conservative and Green Party. Yeah, exactly. And that's what a lot of these candidates were. It was people who... Like in Australia, we've just had tons of just disaster after disaster for the last 
three years or so. Like environmental disaster yeah, or in, environmental, like really COVID bad bushfires. Yeah, okay. that went on for months and months, and then we've had floods more recently. And yeah, we could also say COVID. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but just um, stuff has not been going well in terms of the environment. Um, and so the teal candidates, these independent candidates that have emerged are people who have very strong, uh, well, people who have, uh, ideas about energy in Australia and getting more renewable sources of energy, which has become a really important, um, thing to a lot of Australians because it's just not something people can ignore anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, is it, the temperature is rising in Australia and it's causing a lot of issues. Um, uh, although, you know, there's a lot of discussion and debate about that, but it's mm-hmm. not worth getting into here. But, um, uh, and the liberal party, um, who's been in power, their sort of view is we can't stop doing any of the things we're doing in terms of coal mining and other stuff, because this is what is keeping Australia's economy afloat. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and teal candidates are basically like, they have some more conservative economic values, but they have these, um, progressive environmental and energy, uh, policies as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just really shows that neither, I think the fact these candidates emerged is really that there are people who don't want to vote. They want to vote for some things in the Green Party. They want to vote for some things maybe in the Liberal Party or the Labour Party, but they, are so torn because they, I want, I want these progressive, uh, energy policies, but I also want these other more conservative policies in different areas. And the teal candidates have emerged to cater to that audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was really surprising. That was the first thing. But in fact, um, the other thing that was interesting with, um, Zizek's sort of, uh, description of France and other countries, um, is that the left is really quite neutered mm-hmm. um, and is not really that progressive. Nope. Uh, even. But in, our, in this election, the Green Party, who are very progressive, like, they're like, um, basically massive social policy and social welfare support for everybody, um, all kinds of stuff, free education for everybody, mm-hmm. for any kind of education, um, obviously uh progressive uh energy policy in regards to like renewable energy and so forth um but they didn't but win they, they didn't win but they won more seats than they ever or i don't know whether it's than, than they ever have before but they mm-hmm. made a huge gain on what they were getting last election have we like got a minority government uh no it's a majority the, okay. the um labor party won the majority seats in the house, but they're also, there was talk about them maybe, I think, forming some kind of a coalition with, um, various other people or the Greens or whatever, but they didn't end up needing to, I don't think. Do you have um, a, do you have a Senate or their equivalent? Yeah, we do. Is it appointed or elected? Uh, it's elected. Oh, okay. I believe. We have an appointed um, one. Okay. Yeah, I'm not amazing on political processes we vote for senators right yeah so, yeah we um, don't uh, they're appointed yeah. by the queen <laughs> yeah. on advice of the prime minister um mm. so then it's like an anchor is the idea that uh, you can keep your uh it's more like you know in the states they talk about uh senate appoint uh not senate appointments um 
Supreme Court appointments, right? You're there for life. Um, mm. And it's your way to reward party members and distinguished Canadians and all that stuff. So um, I, is it going to – is it – I think I think his thesis is is probably right that it's going to take a lot. Um, yes, it has uh, to get pretty bad. Yeah, I would agree with that. With before a, people really, with a uh, uh, majority government, they don't have to do anything that any any other people want, right? Um, what to me was so shocking is um, with a minority government, which is what we have, um, you know, under COVID. Uh, the prime minister got a, an agreement from the left-leaning party, the one my mom has a uh, a lifetime membership now to, you know, like a, a reward for uh, many years long service. They give you uh, a special pin and lifetime membership, and she worked on so many campaigns, right? I never joined the party because I am not a, a person who will just join a team. I don't want to be committed to what other people say is the right thing. I'm mm. independent in that respect, right? So, but I've never voted against them, right? I've always voted for them and I've always voted. And what do they do? They go into a coalition with the guy who is saying civil liberties are not important. The guy who mm. is massively corrupt and who, you know, is encouraging a war with, you know, uh, possibly nuclear World War III consequences. I know he's not mm. in charge of uh, NATO or anything, but he is there as the biggest cheerleader. And mm. I'm not in favor of us all dying in a nuclear holocaust, right? It's mm. brinksmanship. He ain't that wise. I know this because every time, you know, anybody's not looking, he's painting his face and running around like a black or a brown person. He ain't that mm. wise. Um, the reason he's prime minister is the same reason George W. Bush's dad, uh, George W. Bush was pri- president is because his dad was president and, you know, a party got behind that. The mm. liberals picked him because he gave a good speech at his dad's funeral and they said, this is our candidate and they made it happen. So yeah. there's a lot of, um, vested, like it's, it's almost like inertia. My mom is not going to suddenly uh, drop out of this this party that she's in, right? She's she encourages her the the MPs that she knows. She's hugged the leader of the party, you know. She encourages the provincial party. She is on board. She is the thing that keeps uh, that and the the dynamic. Uh, you know, of the population that keeps that energy going, that alternative party going, right? In, in the province, mm. it is, uh, dominant, right? It's, it's got a majority in the, in the province, but in the federal government, they've never achieved, uh, you know, a government. They've always been, you know, second or third tier, uh, you know, mm. opposition. They've been official opposition like once, but really it's a game of one party. Which is the party of capitalism, uh, driving us to, you know, eat ourselves and make things worse. And so he's, he's right about that, but we have to live here, right? Connor, yeah. you're moving to Germany, but <laughs> we all have to live on this planet. And no matter where you yeah. go, NATO is, is got its hands on stuff. 
and yeah, it's yeah. doing things to people's lives. Like my mom has to move to Vancouver Island because she can't afford her the house she lives in. Not because she's you know spending massive money. It's because it's out of her hands. The, when the rate goes up, you have to do what capitalism is you determined, can. right? You cannot, yeah, it cannot keep going. So, uh, but we're all in that situation. So, what is the way to deal with it? I guess go on a podcast, you, you read a book, talk about <laughs> that book, <laughs> you encourage people to research how to make guillotines. Um, and when guillotine kind comes, you got to get out there in the streets and have your list handy. Start with all the blue checks, <laughs> mm-hmm. and you work your way down the list, starting from the people who have the most followers to the ones who have the least. How about that? And eventually, it'll get out of hand, and we'll say, no, no, that guy shouldn't be uh, head chopped. He hasn't worked for that newspaper for a long time. Um, and then we'll sort of get our uh, senses back, maybe eventually, if we survive and there isn't World War Three. But yeah, there. I don't think there, uh, capitalist realism, There. what was the subtitle of that one? There is no alternative. I don't know. I didn't I, know it had a subtitle. I think it did. I think that that was the alternative, or maybe that was the that was one of the lines that um, he was quoting from Margaret Thatcher, right? Uh, or as um, Nancy Pelosi uh, answering a question, you know, from some persons. We're all capitalists here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like you, you're right. Oh, yeah. Was it the subtitle? It's the capitalist realism. Is there no alternative? Yes. Yep. And the answer is basically not, not really no. Mm-hmm. Um, so Slavo Zizek's idea is I enjoy life. I go to hotels with my girlfriend. We smoke. <laughs> <laughs> I have a fun meal. I hear this joke. I reminisce. I write my blogs. I go give a speech somewhere. Um, I do the analysis I can. Um, I, I thought that incident of him talking about when he was a cons- conscript, right? Uh, and he, he can was, you jog my memory? Yeah. So what he he <laughs> he's, he 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 uh, somebody in his troop while he's in the barracks asked him if he performed cunnilingus. <laughs> okay. And the um and the they 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 said really you do that. And he says, well, yes, as long as it's clean and, you know, it's been washed. And yes, of course. And, uh, the rumor or the, the news, I guess, got all around the barracks and he was sent on some, um, you know, give order something to someone else somewhere on the army base. And when he got there, um, <laughs> the officer took the note from him and says, is it true you perform cunnilingus? because the the uh the knowledge of this spread around the army base faster than you know he could he can move uh there and he was he was going all all the way across the base so um he he what i i appreciate about what he's doing generally is he's he's taking on the real concrete problems that we see like all around europe especially europe right um, yes. And saying, what is going on here really? What is really going on here? And what should, what, what should we pay attention to? And, uh, like, if anybody says, I have all the answers, like Jesse's joking about, about, uh, guillotines, you know, that was the French, uh, solution. It was not a good solution. It's what they did, right? Mm-hmm. So that's, to, that's a joke, right? I talk about, uh, I, I, I talk with Evan about, 
uh, Evan's kind of irrational when it comes to some things. Like, um, he thinks that Taiwan should fight to the last man <laughs> against China. Like, that's the, uh, I've mentioned this recently, but that, that, that seems to be the, the plan NATO has for Ukraine, right? Uh, <laughs> no negotiation. Yeah. It's the, it's just fight to the last man and send in more arms, right? It's, it'll lead to World War Three, right? It's not a good idea. So don't do that. Mm. And so, like, when a country invades you and takes over, it's, he's lived in China. It's not great. It's also not great mm. in Taiwan. He complains about it all the time, too, right? Mm. Yeah, it is irredentism or whatever. There's all sorts of terrible things happening on the earth, but it, why do we have to go to World War Three over all of it? Right? Maybe, well, neither, maybe we can just like, us. yeah, go for it. Well, look, neither of us live in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's not our country that's being, um, invaded nope. and really destroyed. Uh, and I would wonder how I would feel if Australia was invaded and, um, and and what I would and what I would do. I I, I have a vision. It's Mad Max one and the Road Warrior. Yeah, but um, I was thinking more like if if you there got was that like, motorcycle. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna be in that biker <laughs> well, gang and talk about the toe cutter. Let let me tell you an aspect <laughs> of Mad Max um, is is that uh you know fuel petrol mm-hmm. <laughs> one tank of petrol on a motorcycle really doesn't last that long. Nope. You got about two hours of of runtime. Is that it? Um, wow, no idea. You go about three hundred kilometers. I don't know what that is in. Do you yeah. guys use kilometers? Yeah, we use kilometers too. Yeah, we're not that's uncivilized. Like, that's like, yeah, and like I got a bit right now. I got a pretty big touring motorcycle, mm-hmm. which is made for long distances, and I get about three hundred kilometers. Right, like the fuel tank, even on a very efficient motorcycle, you just can't carry that much. Right, so like. The world of Mad Max, where everyone's riding around indefinitely on motorcycles, will not, it could not happen. Well, they were also intercepting tankers in the first Mad yeah. Max. Yeah. I suppose that's the, yeah, I suppose so. They seem to have like, uh, petrol refineries or whatever set up, um, yeah. in the world. But, um, I was thinking more about like if I had to go to war to protect, because my country's going to be occupied by another country. And we're all going to have to. But how is the um, occupation going to go? Is it they're going to come in and say, you know, you now have trade agreements with China, or are they going to say we're all putting you in concentration camps and then, uh, you know, gassing you? There's a big difference between the two, right? Because right yeah. now Australia is in an alignment with one particular power state, right? And it's the U.S., yeah, yeah. U.S., British, Canadian, NATO, and now Australian. England, for some reason, alliance, mm. right? Uh, you know, there's some new Australian version of NATO, uh, wh- and Taiwan. Like, why are, why are, why did, don't, didn't we learn anything from World War One? These ent- entangling, entanglement alliances, like, they're a really bad idea. They, they get so you into all sorts of What you're of saying shit. is we should just sort of let Russia and Ukraine figure this thing out by themselves. Uh, well, for one thing, right? The war didn't start when Putin invaded, right? That was no, the most no, no. recent one, right? The he took uh, Crimea back as a kind of like you guys are not understanding this. This shelling of the Donbass can't go on. Um, mm. The, the one, one YouTube just announced uh, we're free and fair and all that stuff, and then they just removed uh, bullshit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they just removed a um, a, a YouTube 
a video showing uh, a leaked call from the ambassador, U.S. ambassador at the time um, to Ukraine. And they were in that in that leaked call. They're picking their candidates for the new government. Right. They're not like saying it would be good if they're saying this is who we'll go with and this is who I'm going to recommend. Right. It's because it was a it was a coup. They took advantage of absolute, you know, stuff going on there, right? But, mm. you know, it, U.S. was involved in all of this. So it's not like, uh, how about just this? Don't keep expanding capitalism to eat, eat everything on the planet because it, it hurts when we go to war mm. over it. There's a book I want to, I, I never did a show on it, but I read it and I thought it was terrific. It's a book by um British author named Richard K. Morgan. It's his only mm-hmm. standalone, as far as I can tell. And uh, it's his best book, I think. Uh, it's called Market Forces. It's set in the UK, and it has, like, Mad Max-style um business executives fighting each other in cars, like, in between work, work shifts. But the, the plot of it, uh, that's just what they do in their off time. But the plot of it is actually about conflict investment which is you how to make money from war. And yeah. so countries like deliberately setting up divide and conquer, and then you sell to each side and you make a ton of money. This is literally what, ha- you know, that $40 billion that was, you know, past the house with the Democrats who used to be theoretically anti, anti-war at all times. Right. Um, mm. and it was the Republicans. This is, this is kind of also what, uh, Zizek is saying. There, there's a, there's a, there's a, also a podcast called this. The re, there's a realignment happening. The Republicans are now aiming a little bit, not all of them in the States, but some of them are aiming for a, the, the poors. Whereas the Democrats used to be aiming for the poors. The Republicans used to be the party of big business, right? And so there's a, a, a realignment happening because, people don't like the current conditions you can say some things like we're anti-war right Mm. Uh, because we don't want to get involved in this foreign wars it's very expensive to us that 40 billion dollars that passed the house with with all democrats voting in favor including the you know the squad the uh, fake left-leaning part of the party right um with with 40 republicans voting against it that $40 billion doesn't go directly to Ukraine. It goes to mm. Ukraine so that they can buy money from McDonnell Douglas, uh, buy money, weapons from McDonnell. It's, it's like they're, they're lining their own pockets with the U.S. taxpayers' money, right? Mm. And it's not even really taxpayer money because it's all unfunded. It's just, there's no new taxes for this. It's just uh, making, making up money. And so what do you get? You get inflation and you get all these, you know, the price of gasoline going through the roof and it's, it's uh, utter corruption. So mm-hmm. what what can we do about it? Well, we need to know what the problem is. Um, I think Zizek knows what the problem is. Uh, Mark Fisher knew the problem and saw no solution, hence the suicide, I guess. Mm. <laughs> uh, a little bit despairing. He needed some s- delicious sandwich or something. And uh, a few jokes, a few more. Uh, he didn't seem like a real jokey guy, I guess. I didn't find no. him to be jokey. Maybe he needed more jokes in his life. Zizek doesn't seem to me like a suicide guy. 
No, I don't think so. Not the, not the maybe not the fast kind. More like the slow. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The, he enjoys his wine too much, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or he's on a he's on a speaking tour and you know gets hit by a bus. But yeah. Mm. Um. So. I I thought it was a very good book and it made me want to read more of his stuff. But I also don't think it was like it was interesting. I was trying to figure out the timing of the publication. It says published 2018. Some of it was about Ukraine, right? And he was he was onto that before a lot of people were. Um, you know, it became a big thing this year. But as you'd expect though. Yeah, but he, just, uh, he has his head in that space. Yeah, he's he's reading he's reading the newspapers, right? He's seeing what is being said and then he's running it through his his critical thinking filter and yeah. finding finding the falsity everywhere it, mm. it is an there's an you know you're in australia it's different than the united states we we're in canada i'm in canada it's different from the united states we we get a lot of their spillover like i don't know how much you get but we get a lot you get a lot of oh, spillover. From America. Yeah. Right? Like their, yeah. their propaganda s- spills out. It's not just in their movies and, and just, I'm talking like TV shows and YouTube. YouTube is huge, right? It, yeah. It's, uh, you know, uh, there are co- competitors. Uh, China has its own YouTube, right? It doesn't allow yeah. United States to run the show with regard to that. And they censor movies coming into the country. And that's why you get such weird big films, right? You know, they're set in China. China's not a threat, right? It's, it's, it's all to fit the market. That all stuff is, you know, not worth spending much time on. But I do think Zizek is worth spending more time with. So I'd be up for another book of his for sure. Yeah. I, um, he seems to write like um, for a year. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, he's very prolific, prolific. He, and like, you know, this book was just like, it's like he has an idea gun. Like, oh, yes. you know, when, you know, you know, when there's like machine, like, uh, it's, it's like a machine gun mm-hmm. and every bullet's an idea. Yep. And this book is just him fucking spraying. Yep. He's spraying <laughs> the pages. Everywhere. Yep. Um, there was a good review I wanted to, uh, read from, um, from Goodreads. Please do. Um, and because uh, I thought it actually ca- it accurately captured the the kind of nature of the book, um, and I, I would quote who wrote it, but the person doesn't have a username; they just have a dash. Okay. But um, uh, you'll find on the Goodreads page. Okay, this person says Zizek moves from subject to subject, not like a ballerina flowing in graceful movements. Instead, it's more akin to watching a very fat man who often slurs his words, <laughs> attempting to jump from one stone to another, only to slip and fall miserably, only then to proceedingly, only then proceeding to get up and say something that's actually a rather profound interpretation mm. of a culturally relevant product. Mm. And I think that really sums it up like he is you know there's no there's no way to deny he's just a really interesting dude yes and when he writes it's really interesting and um and sometimes it's and you know it just um i just found sometimes uh the like he just jumps from idea to idea so fast sometimes it's like uh that wasn't that paragraph wasn't too great like i remember the black panther mm-hmm. um that whole section was like interesting but I sort of was like, huh? And there was a few other points 
that I can't quite remember. It's where very I interesting how he he, he really. It's something that I I I really appreciate. He's not com- he's not a snob. He's coming at it no, from the regular person's point of view, and he's watching these movies and he's seeing them for what they are. And yeah, so yes. sometimes he's he's uh a little. Not every idea is of equal value. How about that? <laughs> yeah, it, it, yes, that's what I would say. Not every thing is it like he has some really stuff that i was really important and i think is really profound and world moving like talking about politics and so on mm-hmm. and then he also talks about black panther which you could really skip if you didn't want to hear about it well i I, you know. I i think i think it's very important to pay attention like why was black panther such a big hit i think it's a it it was a big oh, hit yeah. for a certain like it, it was a marvel movie okay right but um it has other things going on in it, and some of them are like it, it. He points to the CIA in it, right, and how the CIA is there. That's their main job is to be there, right? They're not yeah. the bad guys; they're just there. And it's it's like that's because they're our viewpoint. They're the heroes, right? They're they're watching and assisting these other <laughs> countries in Africa, and he's right. That's the uh, it, it once you start watching a movie and you say oh this has got um military equipment in it you know that the script like it, you should know if you don't know the script has been approved by the US military right <laughs> they will give you as much hardware as you want as long as they get script approval on a big hollywood movie jesus i didn't know that right and so like you know there's a new tom cruise movie coming out right well, yeah, you know how much you know how big uh, recruiting that was for the U.S. Navy. It was huge. huge, right? Everybody wanted to be in Top Gun, and yeah. uh, why wouldn't they? It was a cool movie. You get to bro yeah. out, <laughs> you get to go visit par- cool, interesting places. Look how cool the military base in that movie was, right? With the bar and shit, sure. And he's riding his get motorcycle riding, around, uh, in dude. The you, you bought a motorcycle because of that movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. right? Um, it well, was. I didn't. I, ah, I yeah, mean, I you were practically there. You were practically. Yeah, it almost. didn't hurt. It didn't hurt. You were probably yeah. born the time <laughs> that movie came out, so it was in the background. Uh, I mean, I, I did buy a motorcycle because almost because of Mad Max, right? Dude, so that's that a was a good movie. But you know what I, I love about Mad Max? America. I keep what? thinking about it. Um, I, I just did a quote uh, from. Some, you know, line you hear in the background of Lord Humongous. Um, it's the oh. sociology. It's the yeah, sociology okay. of all of, of the Mad Max, you know, George Miller universe. He says this is a cult, but th- they're LARPing. They're enjoying themselves because, uh, and if you think about that first Mad Max movie, it's a lot like where, what we're living in right now, right? Sort of the world's going to shit, right? The cops are yeah. corrupt. Uh, there's crime on the roads. Um, and there's a bunch of LARPers running around, you know, uh, scaring the old people. <laughs> mm. <laughs> and, you know, it goes too far. Um, and then we end with the, the kid getting his, uh, you know, given a choice to hack his own leg off, which by the way, yeah, I don't know if you remember this. I didn't think about it at all. That's the whole premise of the movie Saw. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right? That's, that was something when I saw... 
I don't, you know, I don't even remember. I think, um, I don't know which one. I think I knew about Saw first mm-hmm. before I saw Mad Max because I ended up seeing Mad Max sort of like relatively speaking later mm-hmm. in life. Like I might have been 20 or mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, but, um, uh, um, but I, I agree with you. I think the first Mad Max, right? There's not so much LARPing, but we're on the road to that. Like they are pretty much just straight up bikers. Yep. Right. Um, but by the second, you've really got into the LARPing territory of like humongous, Lord Humongous wears like, like a colander. And on they're his head. gay friendly. I mean, it, all those oh, studs, yeah. there's the smegma, smegma crazies, and then there's the gay boys, gay boy berserkers. Like, yeah. It's um, 100% like, this is, uh, you know, they're dressed in black and the good guys are dressed in white, but really everybody's LARPing. <laughs> it's yeah, like, yeah. There's, um, there's the warrior chicken. Mad Max too, who's wearing like, uh, like, uh, it looks like a American football. Yep. Yep. Chest protection thing. Yep. Um, which I believe is totally, would be totally ineffective as any kind of real armor unless you tackle it. It's people. just to but make you look cool. cool. That's, that's what LARPing um, is. Yeah. I mean, uh, definitely. But, um, but it kind of like real life becomes a bit like that. Dude, like so much so. All, all, it just reminds me of like you would see stuff of wars in Africa mm-hmm. where like shit got so crazy. People, well, people were just wearing bizarre costume. Yeah. Right. Like, um, wigs and stuff. And mm-hmm. it's like, and they're running around and, but it's, it's the most horrific shit with genocide and murder. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're also putting on a costume. Yep. Um, of whatever shit they could find lying around, no matter how crazy it was. Um, it's sh- I don't know it's, what is going on with it's that. Sh- it's shamanic ritual sort of getting into it because uh, we're, we're all over this right now. It's I, I, I saw this amazing video. Uh, I'm almost out of time. I got a class in four minutes. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> I saw this amazing video where somebody um, somebody was interviewing uh, a bunch of people. It was like – I think it was the uh, worker party in the UK, which is a non-captured left-wing party, right? Yeah. Um, George Galloway, I think, is the leader of that one. Anyways, they're really against uh, woking everything. Um, and it was some guy interviewing a bunch of people on campus, and he says, "What? What if? What if I told you I was a woman?" And all the interview subjects would say, "That'd be your right." And he says, "What if I told you I was seven years old?" And they'd say, "I'd have some questions, you know." Um, but uh, you watch the whole video, and you realize um, nobody's willing to say that's ridiculous. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to play yeah. this game. Um, what it, the charitable way I thought about it and the way I tweeted about it was that this is everybody is equally willing to let everybody else LARP. You know, you, you think you're oh, yeah. a woman. You think you are trans. You think you are a they, them. You think you're right. That's fine. I'm fine with that. You do you, right? But I mean, let me be. Let everyone be. This is a nice thing. This is a positive thing. But the problem yeah. is that's not the end of it, right? It's that we have to see the consequences of it. So if you say you're a dog, <laughs> which mm-hmm. not many people do, but some people say they're fox kin or whatever, it's fine. Um, Evan has this theory about uh, the Klingons in Star Trek. And I think it yeah. makes the most sense is that long, long time ago, they developed all the technology that the Federation did, 
right? The warp drives and all that, phasers, all those things. And then they stopped doing that stuff. They just leveled off, and then they started LARPing. So now they implant, like, head head ridges and hit each other, and they talk about honor all the time, right? Yeah. In the same way that uh, samurai do, right? Samurai were doing it for real. It wasn't genetically built into them. It was a culture. It was their thing. Yep. Yeah. They cut their top knots in certain ways. They cut off, you know, the gangs cut off fingers for failing to do things. They get full body tattoos, all of this stuff. Why did they do that? It's because that's what people do. But when yes. that culture yeah. goes into contact with another culture, there can be conflict. And since we all share the planet and not everybody agrees, not everybody is willing to break kayfabe, not break kayfabe. That is the idea uh, behind uh, re- of professional okay. wrestling, right? These are actually yep. pumped up guys who are throwing acro- uh, each other across the room. It's not fake in that those are fake throws. It's fake as in they're not trying to actually hurt each other. They're trying to put yes. on a display and a show. If this is happening tactic, all over the place. So my niece, who is identifies as a they, them, I just noticed she came back from Ontario and she had a shirt. I didn't think about it until afterwards. It said gender on it. I was like, why does her shirt say, I was thinking about it after, why did her shirt say gender? Because it doesn't really mean anything, right? Mm. <laughs> that wasn't like gender is good or gender is bad or we all have gender. It was just the word gender. Yeah. It's because it's, it's in her mind in the same way that, uh, Toe Cutter being a, a very important member of this gang is an important thing. And Billy getting, or whatever the kid's name, who's getting indoctrinated into the gang thinks that this is a very important. But everybody sort of has a problem when it goes too far. And where. Yeah. Right? So. Yeah, yeah. Or something like that. I, yeah, I, I agree. This is an interesting, con- uh, conversation to get into because i would say that i'm a bit of a social constructivist in terms of a philosophy of how we think about the world but i don't think we're going to be able to do it in the next 10 seconds no nope. for your class <laughs> um so anyway this is this is a good conversation about ghostland and also about um uh a thief in broad daylight um parnell and zizek so, more more like these yeah. please yes both recommended in my opinion thank you um very good Okay. I'll see you on Twitter. Yes, I'll see you there. Have a good one. See ya. Bye. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. And thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash SFF audio. don't seem to get it very, like, very minimally. Like, I understand the concept, but it's not like a <laughs> seasonal thing or anything like that for me. Mm. Just, you know, I look up at the sky and say, oh, despair. <laughs> Yep. (laughs) (laughs) And then I say, okay, what am I having for lunch? (laughs) Yep. It's not like I... uh, I mean, I think if I want to sleep in too much, that is probably a sign. But Mm. I don't do that too much. You know, like, I I set my alarm and I go I get up usually around that time. So every once in a while I'll have like a couple extra hours or something. But... Mm.
Uh, it's hot. You also have a lot of you got a lot of dogs around, and that is a sure. Well, I don't have them in my my apartment. I, that's mm, at my mom's okay. house, but I'm going to be there a couple nights next week, which is um, okay. I don't like I don't like sleeping at her house when she's over on the island or whatever. It's it's too doggy. <laughs> There's too many doggy. <laughs> too many dogs with too many needs. Yep. Yeah. Because they never like you know they can't communicate their needs perfectly. And yeah, no, they're like little babies. Yeah, but Digitals. you know, babies eventually grow up and they they have hands and they can get stuff for themselves. <laughs> These will, <laughs> yeah. year after year, they they need you to open doors and mm-hmm. you know, it never ends. Get their food. Dogs. Yeah, no, I think that's why my mom likes them. It's like uh, replacement grandchildren. Sure, something to do. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'll uh, ping Evan on Twitter and because uh, he's not responding here. Show now, I will say. <laughs> um, I uh, I have a couple other things in the hopper, but I've been having trouble getting them listed. So I'll tell about you, tell you about them, and I think we have one that we're supposed to do at some point too—a reschedule show. Now. Okay. Um, do you, is that for? Yeah. Okay. Go let ahead. Me let me look. I, that's. I, these are just vague ideas in my head. All right. So, oh, I know. I need to tell you about this one. Uh, oh, Connor not available. Sad story. Uh, Stephen mm. King's The Shining is listed oh. on there for the um, yeah six twenty six. Yep. Uh, okay. Cool. I, I, you would you would have wanted to do that discussion <laughs> of the Kubrick movie too. Yeah. Oh no, banned. I'm not going to talk about the, the oh, movie exactly. adaptation. It's a good choice. Yeah, I agree. Because it, it's too different. Yeah, and um, I've seen the movie, but I don't really feel like re-watching it, you know? Nah. Yeah. Um, also, yeah. you're okay, going to miss the Seawolf, too. Look at that. Hmm. Yeah. Um, look. Oh, The Stocking by... Jack Vance as well. That is just, not necessarily on that period, I think. Uh, I think Paul moved it because um, he was going to do some uh, other convention thing. I'm not sure. So that mm. that might be the right day. It might not be. Um, for late, either 24th or 31st, I I tried to get Will interested, but he seems to be in a depressive mode. Um, mm. uh, and that is, um, uh, let me dig it out. I got Misa into it. Uh, it was an old book. Let's see what the old book was called. Poop. Uh, not, not poop. Oh, <laughs> no, it's not. It's, um, Robinson not Crusoe. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Which um, that be a bit, it'd be mm, a thing, right? It is because um, it really spawned a sort of certain genre, mm-hmm. like because uh, I've read uh, I've read most of it. Um, it's a and, good book, though. And it is, it is, and it um, and by modern standards, it drags. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, but it also. Um, it's important. 
it's it's got a it's it's got a comfiness to it. Just mm-hmm. this person building a oh, life yeah. that is is really kind of vicariously satisfying. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see a lot of that, like in our Murik, the first couple of chapters mm-hmm. of him, the character on our Murik. It just reminds me of that, and you see it a lot in different books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's, it's they built whole TV shows and. You know, Swiss Family yeah. Robinson and Gilligan's Island, you know, they all do this thing where build everything out of coconuts. And yes, yeah. Uh, in fact, <laughs> there's a lot of children's books that are like that. There's a series, uh, called the Hatchet series, I guess, is the first book is Hatchet. It's about a kid who plash, crashes his airplane or he, he's in an airplane that crashes in northern Canada, I guess, and uh, has to build a civilization out of the wilderness, you know. Um, and he's just, his only tool is a hatchet. Yeah. And oh, right. Okay. It makes there's, sense. There's another one like that too. Um, it's called My Side of the Mountain, which is about mm. a kid who run away, runs away from home to live on a mountain and, uh, you know, lives in a hollow log and <laughs> sews yeah. his own clothes and hunts and all that stuff. I think they even made a movie out of that one. It's, it is a huge, uh, undercurrent and one that's sort mm. of forgotten, I think. So, yeah. What do you think about yes. 724? That'd be your first time back, uh, after your absence. July 724. Yeah. And remember, um, you're going to be in the, the eight hours plus zone instead of, uh, whatever you are. Uh, <laughs> in, oh, okay. Okay. 24 hours. So that would be two. That would be two weeks, um, after I arrived in Germany, which might not be too bad um and what that would be for robinson crusoe yeah okay put me down as a tentative well we could do three weeks 731 but um uh it says paul's not available but he hasn't expressed interest in it either so but i also haven't told him about it but mind you it doesn't matter it can be on the normal sunday slot right oh Mm -hmm. whatever so is 731 better because mice has said either would work I would probably say 7.31. All right. Just because I'm not sure what I will actually be doing um, at the time. And so a little bit later is better because it gives me okay. time to negotiate yeah. and see what I'm All happening. Right. I won't actually know what I'm doing. Jesse. And probably until I get to Germany. Connor, comma. Okay. Now. Um, Misa. Oh, no, no, no. Misa, then Connor. There we go. All right, so that's one solved. Now let me put this in my calendar. Mm-hmm. And so that would be uh, the Sunday, the 31st of July, I believe. There it is, yep, at 8 a.m. Pacific. Okay. So that's the same time zone as uh, Mr. Jim Moon, I think. or So it would be closer to midnight, I guess. It would, yeah. Right. Oh, no, no, that's um, if we did it at a 4. If we do it at an 8, it's 4 in the afternoon for you. 8 a.m. Okay, that, w- yeah. that would work. It's a good time. All right. Um, I'm pretty sure there was another thing. Uh, yeah, so No Man's Land. Did we do that or not? I can't remember. We have not done it. All right. Um, so that uh, needs to be scheduled sometime. On the other hand, it, there's no rush uh, since you've got a whole bunch blocked off. Unless we did it on 619. 
There's a hole um, there. That's right before you leave. Yeah, that would be a tough one. I actually think 619. I think I might actually be away. Oh, okay. Um, I think that's, if that's on the week, uh, hang on, let me check it out. 619 would be June. June. Yes, because that's a day later, that weekend. Oh. Well, it, that's the weekend, so it could be the 18th uh, uh, for me. That'd be the Saturday mm. at four if we did it uh, the regular time. That's just a Sunday slot, so that weekend yep. slot is available. I don't. Th- I don't think it was. It will work. I actually don't think I have anything planned, but it will be one of the last weekends before I leave, which means I'll be desperately trying to clean up my apartment mm. and get it mm-hmm. ready. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So, so there's going to be a. That, what you're saying is there's going to be another two month gap. <laughs> Potentially. Um, <laughs> if well, there was yes. one. Let me see. When was the last time you were on? Like a thief in broad daylight. That didn't happen. So the shunt house. Back, yeah, you were there for the shunt house. That wasn't two months ago, was yeah. it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and that was... Um, that was uh, May 7th. Yeah, so it was only a couple of weeks ago. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, okay. Well, that solved one thing. Uh, what about, um, I don't see you signed up for uh, the Saturday slot for The Thing in the Woods by Harper Williams. I've got Evan, I don't know that story. Okay. Is so, that a good Well, uh, I haven't read it, but it's a novel. Harper Williams is famous uh, for having written a children's book uh, called The Velveteen Rabbit. Um, oops, that's okay. the basketball player. We don't want Harper Williams. Uh, author. There we go. Um, why am I saying Harper Williams? Maybe it's Marjorie. Okay. Velveteen. No, no, it, it is the Harper Williams. Why it is, is Harper Williams. The Google's thing trying to fuck around with me. Um, okay, here it is. In Somebody on Goodreads has it. Ooh. In 1924 letter... Uh, Lovecraft recounts a book-buying spree from which his buddy Frank Becknap Long bought, brought home The Thing in the Woods, a quote-unquote new horror novel by Harper Williams. S.T. Josie has cited the, this pot boiler about a werewolf and its slightly more human brother on the loose in rural Pennsylvania as a possible influence on Lovecraft's tale of extra-dimensional entity and its slightly more human brother on the loose in rural New England, a.k.a. the Dunwich Horror. And uh, mm. it's got a great cover, if you can see the original dust jacket is. And I will try and... And the title's good, right? The Thing in the Woods, you know? Yeah. Um, it's on LibriVox, so I will check the length on that. Oh, that does have an excellent cover. Really excellent. I don't know what yeah. style is. It's some sort of nouveau style, I think. Mm. Uh, cool. Thing in the Woods. So. Okay, I'm I'm in for that. Okay, sure. All right. When? Yeah, I think that's next week. That's uh, next week. Five hours thirty four minutes though, bud. Not very long. Um. Okay. Next weekend is the fifth. I think. I'm gonna. Yep. I will be traveling oh, yep. all weekend. Well, damn. Yeah. Sorry, Sad I gotta go story. see my family before I leave. Fuck your family. <laughs> yeah. Who needs Who needs them? <laughs> if I've learned anything from uh, Ghostland, it's fuck your family. <laughs> 
<laughs> Your memories yeah. you make with them mean nothing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Serve capitalism, bud. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is that what you took away from this? Huh? <laughs> I guess we'll get into that. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, I took away a different... <laughs> I don't know how. <laughs> yeah. Well... Um, um oh and uh, uh that is yeah go for it i mean that's a huge shame um because that book looks great but i will listen to it anyway all right and if i can i'll send you some thoughts yeah maybe that might that's good um yeah uh so um i just did a couple of uh robert e howard stories i don't think i tweeted to you about them specifically um mm-hmm. one's called uh as in i read them one's called out of the deep um, okay. It's a Faring Town story. So uh, only one of those was published during his lifetime. I think there's two of them in a poem. Um, the first one is The Sea Curse, I think it's called. Um, mm-hmm. They're both public domain. Um, the second one, the one I read today, is uh, it's eight pages, including the table of contents and a page with almost nothing on it. Um, and the last page is you know half a page so it's it's 17 minutes to record it's not super long. well 17 minutes of finished audiobook yeah um, it's not very long yeah and uh, it starts off pretty tame and it's not like a lot of his other stuff um it's kind of shallow in a certain sense but the description of the ocean is amazing and mm. um and it's got a merman and it's uh sort of like unjust murder uh Gang up. It's kind of, you know, the vernacular knowledge that, that, uh, Lovecraft characters, the, the, the people in the towns, they're, everything they believe is correct. You know, like, don't yep. go in the woods at night or whatever it is. And, um, and then the investigators are always like, well, you know, they say this, but then they go, I don't believe in that. Yeah. 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 And they go in and find 21st out. 21st century men. Yeah. 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 And then they find out for themselves, right? Um, so in, in this case, everything they say is wrong. <laughs> um, oh, okay. Um, and so it's kind of like a witch hunt. Um, and, mm. uh, and so, um, although the original publication, 1967, doesn't have any art, um, I found a very uh, obscure publication in a um, – uh, what's the name of that magazine? Uh, I'll scroll down and find it here. It's called, oh, Tales of Voodoo, September 1971. Uh, I say it's profusely illustrated. Um, The illustrations are more like comic book than anything else. Um, And they changed Mm. the title to, I think it's just Monster. (laughs) Um, Oh, and it doesn't like my website. I'll I believe that rings a bell. Like, I believe you sent me this. Oh, okay. Really? Okay. That's a long time ago then. Or if we, actually, no, maybe not. I just, the name Tales of Voodoo or something, hmm. uh, I recall it, but that doesn't matter. I think there might have um, been a couple of stories by him in there, um, retitled. Okay. Or maybe this one doesn't even yeah. have a title. Let me just check. Uh, or, sorry, so, authored. Because it doesn't show up on ISFDB, but it's the same story. Mm. Anyways, that one's so you know if you're looking for illustrations, uh, uh, you need to look at those. And it, like I say, it's only 17 minutes long. Um, so we got out of the deep sea curse. 
And what was the next one? Uh, the th- the third one is not public domain. I don't think it's um okay. it's a poem. Although there is another, uh, I spotted another poem by Howard called "Out of the Deep." So that might be unrelated, but I I have not looked that one up yet. Um, and uh, that's actually not. I was thinking I had two Robert E. Howard, but my computer's sort of half frozen here, so it might not be true. <laughs> Um, mm. but I do have another one on hand that's kind of interesting, and uh, I don't think you've read any of, of um, this guy, um, uh, David H. Keller. You know him, Doctor David no. H. Keller. Oh, the name rings a bell, though. Well, he he's Keller. in he's in Weird Tales all up uh, through the ages, and he lives quite a lot longer than most most of the folks, and he's he's really good psychology uh he's on the cover of a weird tales with a story called tiger cat i think which is about mm. uh vacationers in italy of you know they go to a, like a airbnb sort of place and then there's like the owner of the place or the true owner of the place is killing the guests in like a whipping cavern underneath the so that's why it's on the cover right it's got a lady with a whip um, yeah, weird of tales. Um, so this one's quite similar to that. It's called Bindings Deluxe. Um, okay. I'm just, I'll try and bring it up here. Bindings. Uh, all right. There it is. Uh, copy link. And it's about, it's very simple. But I, I, you know, I think you should check out David Keller. And he's got so many hilariously good uh, and quite short stories. Um, if you want to branch out okay. at all, um, as you can see, there's a, <laughs> basically the illustration gives away the whole story, which is awesome. So hang on, where did you send it to me? Uh, on- text message, I guess, or in the DM. Uh, I can in- put it, in okay, the, yep, gotcha. I can put it in the chat too. Yeah, that's, that's cool. Yeah. Okay. You got it? Cool. Yeah, I do. Okay. Some guy with a tattoo on his back? Yeah. <sighs> She just tattooed that on his back. Now she's going to uh, harvest. Kill him. Yep. Jesus. Okay. It's, it's about awesome. a club of bookbinders <laughs> who hate women. Oh. <laughs> so she gets okay. her revenge on them um, with the alphabet or uh, the Encyclopedia right. Britannica. Okay. Cool. Um, the original publication, I after I read this yesterday, I... I Doug, I went, somewhere in my apartment is a book I need. And then, of course, it was sitting right in front of me. Um, I, but I looked around for like half an hour at least. Um, Marvel Tales publication. And it has, uh, it's shorter. It has uh, a full page illustration that's different. And uh, the title's slightly different. It's Binding Deluxe. Um, it's all in the thread mm-hmm. here. But if you go to the very bottom, I also found. Uh, the first and last pages of the original TypeScript, um, and where it was published, uh, where where he uh, wrote it, which seems to be in transit between two cities, um, which mm. is it's so it's like this is a sort of a product where we have almost everything about it, you know, and that's kind of interesting. It's like you get mastery over one tiny little corner of the universe, <laughs> which is yeah, yeah. my way of conquering the entire universe. One little piece at a time interesting so david h keller is terrific um if you like 
you know, this one or anything else. There's tons by him that are really fun. Um, one of his best is, um, if, do you remember the, uh, Futurama episode? Have you seen Futurama? Yeah, I have. Uh, there's a Futurama episode. I, I don't know what it's called, but, uh, it's Death by Snoo Snoo, where yes. <laughs> the, the giant alien women are gonna fuck these little tiny people to death. Guys to death. Yeah. And, uh, Leela's like, well, I don't get it. Why are you interested in this? <laughs> and they say, kill me, crush my grime. Or whatever. <laughs> um, yeah. So it is that, except it's set in, in, um, it's set on Earth and it's set in the jungles of Brazil, I think, in Amazon. And, uh, okay. <laughs> it's super hilarious. Um, I detected David H. Keller kind of has, his stuff leans more towards the, uh, like, I'm guessing BDSM sexual. You know, it's not. Uh, you would think of. so based on these. I think that in that mm. case, he was writing for um, probably for Sale to Weird Tales, uh, where that gets rewarded. But that would, It sold and it got the cover, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, not this one, but another one got the cover. Um, mm. And that, so this one did eventually sell to Weird Tales, uh, like 1940, uh, 1934. Is that right? Uh, yeah. Or maybe it's 43. I can't remember. But yeah, it eventually did sell, sell to Weird Tales. It was in a fanzine sort of thing earlier, which may have been a prozine for all I know. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, he he was actually a psychiatrist. Um, right. And uh, he, was a, he was an army psychiatrist. And he was uh, an army psychiatrist during World War One. So he got to see a lot of fucked up things and fucked up people. And it, there's hints in this story that uh, the outer narrator is uh, David H. Keller. Just him saying, you know, when my time in the army, I saw a lot of men's backs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> As a physician, you know, like, um, so it's like, oh, okay. Well, that is, uh, was his job is, you know, clearing people for, uh, joining the army basically are they psychopaths mm. are they physically fit etc so um yep. he's got he's got a, a lot of um wife stuff that's very fun he talks about his wife a okay. lot in his stories and um they are psychologically rich which is not the case with like uh that out of the deep which is psychologically shallow but uh mm-hmm. imag- imagistically rich yeah I, 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 maybe I'm wrong about out of the deep. Maybe Robert E. Howard's trying to say something profound. I think he's not. I think it's one of his, uh, simplest stories. Uh, but it, it has some amazingly cool, uh, stuff. In it. Yeah. Yeah. Just like yeah. the description of the ocean is amazing. He's got yeah. like a coiled snake and you know, roiling and all sorts. And, you know, and there's a merman, a killer merman that's a zombie or something, revenant, who knows. Cool. Yeah. Um, okay, I might, what I might do is, uh, because, okay, I'm just about to finish off recording The Black Stranger Ooh, today. Cool. After we do this, I'll go and finish that. Nice. Um, then I'm going to do The Isle of Pirate's Doom. Cool. Which I believe Pulp covers. Yeah. Um, Alex. It, like, I posted that. And he said, that's an underrated story. And I agree with him. It's not like particular, it's a, like you said, the other one, it's fairly shallow, mm-hmm. but it's a really fun story. Um, so I'm going to do that one. 
a lot of pirate shit. I like recently. pirates. Yeah, they're good. And yeah. I didn't know Howard wrote so many pirate stories, but well, <laughs> there's many. Yeah, I mean, he's, um, those Black Valima stories are his the ones where we know of. But Conan's sure. got pirate stories, right? Yeah. Um, well, yeah. Black Stranger is very pirate. Cool. Like Conan dresses up like a full-on pirate. Awesome. With one of those big hats and and pantaloons um, and all that. But uh, but also the um, what's the other one? Black Turlog. Um, Black Turlog. Not exactly Turlog, isn't it? Turlog. Yeah, I'm pretty I've sure been pronouncing Turlo. it Turlog. Turlog. I'm pretty. I, I think I've got two done. stories now. Uh oh. Uh, Turlog. But only because. I looked up pr- pronunciation of Gaelic. Ah. And the GH. You're right. Is, um, yeah, it's, it's, but it's a weird, it's, I think it's a weird sound. It's somewhat subtle. It's not a hard G. It's more okay. like a. Yeah. Turlock. Or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but those are very piratey, even though they're not actual pirates. They're, they're Vikings. I had uh, a couple of friends, same thing. twins who were into role-playing, and one of them was named oh, yeah. Turlo, uh, spelled the same way. Oh, so yeah. maybe uh, it was just a North American pronunciation. But I, I vaguely remember there was a Doctor Who character who was named that as well, which is, you know, it's pretty yeah. obscure first name. First I think name. it... Yeah. Means a better instigator. Was... Interesting. Yeah, it, that one was genuinely difficult because it had a lot of Gaelic names. Yeah, and I there's no, um, like like for instance with um a lot of words in English, you can find something on the internet that will pronounce them for you. Yes, the phonetic thing, and Gaelic's not like that. I had to no. look up a bunch of these pronunciation guides. Well, you would know better than um, me then, because I uh, I'm just going yeah, based on so, a couple of people I knew. We will see. But likely, you know, likely Howard did not know either. Uh, um, yeah. He may have, his parents might have known or something, right? Mm. Who knows? It's possible. He, or, um, he, he's, he was a library guy, for sure. Mm. So, um, uh, but I was going to say, okay, so I'm doing those two stories. I did um, that Clark Action Smith. Cool. Story. How does it turn out, Who by the way? I haven't finished it yet. Uh, good. It's nothing crazy. It's a pretty simple story, um, but it's nice. And I was thinking of getting a few other people involved in because I have a friend who's um he's a cameraman and he has a lot of vis- video production skills, mm-hmm. and I wanted him to see whether he can make sort of like an animated um background for it because mm-hmm. it's, it'd only be about ten minutes long, right? Right. Yeah, it's pretty and, short. Um, Four, five. Pages, something like that. Yeah, and overall, it's more about the prose and him and the um, atmosphere than it is about the plot twists of the story. Yeah, I, and I was thinking it'd be great to make a little frame. Yeah, um, it's, it's got a huge frame. Yeah, well, just make a little like a visually appealing video to go with this story rather than a static image. Sure. So we'll see how it goes. But um, yeah, but so um. Uh, but I'm trying to figure out, I've done so many Howard books. I'm, I probably have enough time for one more audio book mm-hmm. before I have to take down my setup. Um, I try to figure out what to do. My, maybe I'll do a David H. Keller. Well, they're short. That's the, 
Yeah. You won't get a lot of traction or clicks from it because he's, you yeah. know, he's not a big three. And I honestly, I think the decline from Lovecraft and Howard to Smith is huge. You know, yes. I like yes. Smith. You like Smith because we've read him. But there is no Clark Ashton Smith role playing game, you know. No, there no. is no uh, television series based on his stuff. So do this for pleasure <laughs> and your own edification, yes. and then uh, you know go back to Howard for fun and uh, and some and clicks. Yeah, the clicks. You know the traffic because yeah, yeah. it's good to you know have some feedback and people liking your stuff and. And, you know, throw that other thing in there and other people will get it and you feel good because you introduced them to something they'll like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. Cool. I'm going to keep an eye out. Yeah. I might not do a David H. Keller. Maybe I'll just do that real quick if, if it's yeah. a short story. Let me see what the but, um, shortest one we've done was um, because we've done, like, I think eight or something like that. And I, I feel like... Eric is, uh, he's very slow at reading right now. Um, he's got a lot of life stuff going on. Um, <laughs> for a retired mm. guy, I'm, I'm not looking forward to all that life stuff. Um, Keller. Wait, sorry, who did you say that uh, was? Eric S. Rabkin, the guy I do the yep, reading short yep. deep with. So the very first one we did was called The Thing in the Cellar, which is easy to remember because it's The Thing in the Cellar by David H. Keller. Um, and yeah, I was like, this thing's, this and, thing's awesome. It's about, you know, I believe, yeah. Uh, Keller might be, might mean seller in German. It probably does. Yeah. No, no. Kammer. Sorry. Uh, I'm getting that wrong. Uh, oh, wait, no, it does. Der, der Keller is yeah, Keller. basement seller. There you go. So, so that yeah. story is, um, it's awesome. It's about a family move into a house and there's their youngest child is like a toddler is um is uh afraid of the kitchen door leading to the cellar um mm. uh, no no he's afraid of the the cellar itself um and so he's always like uh caressing the lock on the door and and, and putting like little shims under the under the door and then they ask a the parents ask a psychiatrist uh what's wrong with their son um, and they say, the psychiatrist says, um, you need to, uh, do exposure therapy. So they put him in the basement. Oh, shit. And the great idea. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and of course, it's in weird tales. So I believe the kid doesn't exist anymore at the end of the story. <laughs> it has been mm. digested or something by something that is the thing in the cellar that only he could see. Um, the one I mentioned uh, that's uh, the Snoo Snoo story is called The Little Husbands, which is a pretty terrific title. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, let me see. I've got uh, – I've been uh, – since I discovered him, I'm like, this guy's awesome. Um, David H. David H. Uh, 28 know. stories, including in Oriental yeah. Tales. The Hidden Monster. That sounds good. There is, he has, I was just going through your PDF page, mm -hmm. and he has a thing called the Golden Bough. Oh, um, yeah, you were talking which about that. Is, is, yeah, which is really important, and it looks like it's got some stuff to do with Pan. Oh, cool. The God Pan, that looks like a real... It's a little longer. Like maybe. The Weird Tales is 12 pages, the uh, Marvel oh, Tales Winter nothing. is... Tw yeah, okay. 
Two pages is like half an hour. Let's see if there's any art in. Oh yeah, it's on the cover there. Yes, got an image. Yeah, for the um, Marvel one, there's it's a it got the cover. I have that book oh, right okay. beside me here. It's a it's a photographic reprint, and they even did the color of the pages exactly the same. I got it for a steal on cool. eBay. I couldn't believe it. Nice. It's just full of great stuff, and then the. Uh, other one has a weird tail picture. There he is, Pan. Mm. And there's a house. A strange spell was cast by this mountain forest place. A spell that brought untoward dreams, music, and death. Delightful. <laughs> Absolutely. As we would only expect from weird tales. Yes. Oh, man. This, the that dogs of Salem. It- yeah, so that we're going to do a show on that one. Um, that's actually like a very much a um witchcraft sort of story and i believe it's mm. it's based on a true event uh, okay cool uh, yeah oh and i just tales of voodoo just popped up that uh the monster it's probably best printed and so you can see it's like a two page oh, spread well okay i'm going to be reading these whether or not i make them into audiobooks yeah. cuz um they look pretty awesome yeah um yeah, I'd love okay. to hear uh, more Keller. Yes, yeah. So, do you reckon we're going to get Evan? I don't see him showing up, so we should probably just start. That's cool. Do you mind if I just go yep. run to the bathroom you real do quick? It. And then mm-hmm. back in a sec. Sounds good. Okay, hello. Hey, I just uh, was looking at my old Keller tweets. Um you know he's going to be good because he has the right enemies. August Derelith hated him. <laughs> oh, uh-oh. Um, he said, that, a man without any style himself. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Interesting. I was just looking at Keller's, um, uh, his Wikipedia. Uh-huh. And it says, and there's a, a quote up front that says, conceptual inventiveness but it's also clear that he scantily scanted the actual craft of writing. That's, that's right? it's not, it, it, that's what um, people have been saying, but I've been reading his stuff and I got to tell you, um, he good, he good. Um, okay. He, he delivers, um, he delivers, he de- he's not like Lovecraft. He's not like, um, uh, you know. Super purple prose. No, it's, it's it's simple, um, but he's really good at plotting. Um, and mm. um, and the the other thing is, like, he has a range. Like, he did a lot of science fiction stories. Like, he's actually mm. more known for science fiction than he is for his yeah uh, weird tales. Um, but a lot of people seem to think he's pretty terrific. Um, mm. People who I think you know, oh, that's good to know that. Um, I was just scrolling through and I saw uh, somebody accused a story of his called Seeds of Death, which I have not processed yet. It's a novelette uh, of being immoral in the Weird Tales. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what, yeah. Accused of being as immoral. Opposed to, yeah. As opposed to the one Tiger Cat, which is all about <laughs> a, a BDSM murder dungeon. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Weird yeah. Tales, not exactly known for its... um. It's highly moralistic stance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> True. Um, and he, I think there's two stories uh, called The Tailed Man of Cornwall uh, mm. by him, which I don't think I've read. 
Um, but I, I was looking. Uh, he did have a semi dud I read that was in Oriental Stories. I actually liked the story, but it was, um, it was more like the ending sort of wasn't perfect. Um, and I felt like, oh, it's like a, it's like a superhero origin story. Um, and it was set, it, it was set in Chinatown, and it's about a, a guy who's like infiltrating a Chinese Tong, which is like a gang, you know or gentlemen's club mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, and so there's like this, it, it we, we thought it was going to be a, like a, uh, they're, they're all worshiping this God, <laughs> but it turns out it's like a, a non supernatural explanation. It's like a drug dealing thing. So you go mm-hmm. in, you worship at the God, you put your hand in its mouth and you, it, you're giving it the guy under the floorboards money. And then, you're getting drugs in your hand and then you walk out and then uh, so yeah. it was like a um it it was like it's kind of a mystery yeah it, it, yeah 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 and so it feels like it's the first of something like that in which case if you don't know that that like I'm not a big fan of supernatural detectives I think that that's a stupid genre and I know a lot of books I've read a lot of them <laughs> but mm. um it's like that but with um uh, oriental, um, setting or, you know, and, and they built up the, he built up the character like it was going to be a continuing character. And of course, there was no more. That was the end of the run, I think. Mm. So yeah, he, he's, he was definitely a commercial writer, but he, he's, he's got a lot of inventiveness and he has a, a big range. That's the other thing is mm. like, um, he does do have these sort of, um, uh, Cotton Mather stories that where he takes a line from Cotton Mather and he expands that into a whole story. Um, yeah, and then okay. the science fiction, and then and then these um, like there's some there are liter- legit sort of science uh, mad scientist stories, and um, so a, a commercial writer, um, with a lot of uh worldly experience to draw on, that's different from the others. Definitely mm. somebody to look into. I, I just keep being okay. surprised by how good his stuff is. And, like, I read a lot of stuff for reading Short and Deep. And uh, I'm like, oh, I, if I read another Keller, it's probably half half a good chance that we'll be able to use it. That Eric will like mm. it and me like it. And sometimes, like, I liked it, but it's not for Eric or it's, uh, it's too long or whatever the issue is. But about half the time, it ends up being a show. Okay, cool. Yeah. Definitely something to look into. We should also talk about today that uh, other book um, that I've forgotten the name of, but uh, Zizek wrote. Thief and, That's the one. Thief and Broad Daily. Okay, so. You want to start uh, and then do that after? See how far we go? Um, yes. Okay. I honestly wonder whether we should try and do an episode with that because mm, I really wanted to talk about it. Because we just had a federal election in Australia, right, right, um, with a very surprising result, um, I and need to hear I think about it's that. It, sorry. I need to hear about that because yeah, and I, I heard I about it, but bring, not from somebody who's their perspective. Yeah, um, well, it it played into a lot of the things he said about sort of the left and right, mm-hmm. um, and Macron and and so on. And I was interested in talking about it before the election, which mm-hmm. was when we were going to do the show. Mm-hmm. But now it's after the election. I'm even more interested in mm-hmm. talking about it um, uh, because of the results. So 
it's worth it. It might, you know, I don't know how to go about it, but yeah, let's do um, Ghostland, and then we'll see. We might even be able to tack on and yeah, no, just, and do just do uh, do it as extras because the, separating it out, and it's been too long since like I don't have it all fresh in my mind. So maybe yeah, yeah. maybe it'll come out, but um, okay. I, it was also with a very scattered book as compared to like, a, the one we've got today. I think if we were going to talk about it, it would be difficult. You know, it was a bit like some of the other books we did, um, like Capitalist Realism or mm. whatever. Or that that hit a lot stuff. harder in in its yeah. points, I think. Whereas yes, I certainly did. This one was, but uh, it was still diverse the, in yes. its topics. Absolutely, and it's hard to hit every one of them and comment on every one of them. You tend to get into one topic that's really mm-hmm. a, like a gold mine, and you just keep going on that one. Um, and it will probably be the same with Thief. But um, okay. I'm going to just see if I can get this file to work because it seems to be crashed. All right. Task manager. How do I end this nightmare that I'm having?